This presentation may contain language and scenes which may be objectionable to certain individuals. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. We are here today to discuss, uh, what would you call this, Marvel Graphic Novel Number 5, X-Men, God Loves, Man Kills. God Loves, comma, Man Kills. I'm not going to say comma every time there's a comma. <laughs> this was a publication date of November 30th of 1982. The cover price of five ninety five, and uh, this, this is a pretty big one. And this is it's five dollars and ninety five cents, nineteen eighty two dollars. Is that more or less? That would, that would be less. Well, no, it'd be more. Wait, yeah, it'd be more. Because I mean, think well, about it. A comic book at this time was. Uh, well, nowadays this would cost you like ten dollars. You think so? Yeah, I suppose you're right. I think that five ninety five was probably a pretty hefty price to pay for a graphic novel back in 1982. I bet. <laughs> do you, Adam? Yes. Yes, I do. I do, Jeremy. <laughs> so uh, I have a little anecdote about this. Not, I thought you might. <laughs> not too terribly interesting, but but I'm going to lay it down anyways as it pertains to this, this very comic book. In and around 1988, uh, I had gotten into the Uncanny X-Men in a big bad way and i used to take uh, a bus downtown from school to go meet my dad at his work but that the transfer point that i would go to from the bus there was this place called 20th century books in the back of 20th century books there were comic books there was some back issues and then there was racks of new releases and stuff and then there was one shelf that had just kind of weird things and this was one of those weird things that was up there like i was into x-men but i would pick this up and i would look at it and like the art was weird the colors were weird the whole thing was big um i can't remember if i paid cover price for it i'm pretty sure i did and like i said even 1988 595 was a bit of money because a comic book at that point was 75 cents yeah, you're right. In fact, nowadays, um, I said $10 before, but this would probably be like 20 bucks. I, yeah, I think that's more reasonable. This is this is a soft cover. If this was a hard cover, forget about it. You're at 35 bucks at that point. But anyways, after, you know, basically buying out all of the back issues that he had that were at an, at an affordable price, I was left with no other options, I mean, other than to save my money, but who was going to do that, right? Well, what's the point? Exactly. Uh, so I bought this, and, and uh, that's actually what I'll be reading from today. But the, uh, I don't know, the more interesting thing, I think, is I always thought, like, oh, this is going to be worth a bunch of money because in 1988, this thing was published in 1982. It's already six years old, and I'm not paying too much more than cover price for it. And it's in pretty good condition, blah, 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 blah. It wasn't until years later that I read the very last line of the little byline thing at the bottom where it says that this is, in fact, a sixth printing. No! <laughs> not a first printing, not a second printing, not a third printing. A sixth printing. Wow, you got shafted. I did. And I think um, I, I've i seen, and I may own, I'm not sure, but there's a actually a comic book form factor version of this as well. Uh, I don't know if they just got rid of the whole printing system and just was like, no, this isn't the original 20th printing I've seen a first printing of this at yeah. Comic-Con. Really? It was, it was in one of those uh, ridiculous cases that people sometimes buy. What was C- the... CG, CGC cases. I do not remember what the price was. Oh. Uh, I should have paid attention. Well, suffice to say... Knowing that this was coming. Yes, right, Adam. 
Um, suffice to say that this this comic book, uh, so the pages, I mean, they're high quality pages in here. They're magazine, well, even thicker than magazines. So from a readability perspective, this thing is amazing. But um, the binding's a little worn, a little, little cracked. Uh, the cover's a little bent. I mean, this this thing has been read many times. Uh, uh, happily to say, read many times by me. But you are giving this uh, issue away at the end of the episode to whoever calls during the show, right? Absolutely. The first person to call during the show gets this Marvel graphic novel, my cherished childhood possession. Wow. You're so generous. As a matter of fact, um, the other thing I wanted to point out is that this kicks off uh, Marvel Masterworks Volume Number Nine, uh, and it is well represented here in Marvel Gra- or Masterworks Volume Nine. But the pages are too darn small, so I'm I'm gonna actually read it in the sixth printing oversized Marvel graphic novel version. Well, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. I'm reading it on an iPad Generation One. Oh, so that's kind of an old feeling. The uh, the paper is is pretty crisp. Mm-hmm. Low resolution though, right? So I mean, there's some blocky pixels in there, aren't there? Uh, no, it's actually pretty nice. Um, it looks. I mean, I don't know what you know printing this is, but this uh, this is a pretty nice looking piece of work. All right. Well, the cover proclaims that this is not by Chris Claremont. Oh, no, no, no. This is by Christopher Claremont. What's his professional name? <laughs> <laughs> and Brent Eric Anderson. The credits. Yes, I, brought up, I brought up the Wikipedia page mm-hmm. just out of curiosity. Sure. Uh, you know, to do some background stuff. And mm-hmm. apparently um, this was originally scheduled to be arted by Neil Adams. Oh. As a return. Sure. And it was also originally involved the death of Magneto. And spoilers, Magneto does not die during this. Yeah. But I I guess they dropped that after uh, Neil Adams left the project. And according to Neil Adams, the plot was conceived by Heem Shooter. Heem Shooter? Yes. Wow. That's crazy. Also, as far as the uh, canon, non-canon, apparently it was non-canon until 2003 around when X-Men 2 came out. And we can talk about that as we go through this uh, through this issue. Um, I think it's also definitely got to be part of canon uh, because uh, I did a hair bit of research too, Adam. I just put it to the Wikipedia page. Because I was curious if Reverend Stryker and his pacifiers or purifiers, whatever the hell they're called, which we'll get into in this book, uh, if they ever make a, re- um, a return to the X-Men comics. And they do. So there's a God Loves Man Kills Part 2. I have all. I actually own all of those issues. I have a handful of them. I haven't read them. And I won't until we get to it. And I have the entire run of Extreme X-Men. And I don't remember any of it. Oh. I remember that they wear cool glasses. That's it. So it was good. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was about that good. I mean, I bought it all. So I must have enjoyed it at the time. It had Salvador La Roca art. I remember that. I've asked this question before, but I'm going to ask it again. Um, is Extreme X-Men in the 616 universe? Yes. Okay. It is. So it's not in the Extreme universe? I don't think there is an Extreme <laughs> universe. <laughs> well, you never know. That's why I asked. Uh, and then he also appears again in a couple of other things that are canon related. So blah, blah, blah. There you go. Look, looking back, Extreme X-Men was 
Chris Claremont wants to do another X-Men book. Maybe it'll sell. Throw him a bone. Sure. Yeah, I have a have a great deal of those extreme X-Men, but I haven't read a single one. Uh, I would not Well, I don't know. Do what you got to do. <laughs> do what you got. When we get to it, I'll get to it. <laughs> so okay, you're you're in charge of reading extreme x-men when when we get there that'll be my my uh cross to bear the credits go on this thing is lettered by tom warzakowski colored by steve Olaf, edited by Luis jones uh associate editor is danny Fingeroth. associate editor and the editor-in-chief is the man him shooter himself the legend <laughs> the man the myth the one you've read about. And in true novel form, there's a little uh, comment here at the beginning with thanks to Mary Jo Duffy for her invaluable assistance and criticism. Chris Claremont, which is weird because Mary Jo Duffy is not like the editor. No, but she's, you know, she's been the editor for, she's she's been involved in X-Men for quite a while now. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, he must have ran the story by her a couple of times. I wonder if she's like, his uh oh no <laughs> oh uh his uh ed, like like assistant or something like that because remember he when he started out during the neil adams years he was the the assistant yeah yeah i do maybe maybe she's his assistant and she as you recall wrote letters in the 60s yes she did yep it all comes full circle everybody stick with us and you'll learn a few things i believe she's writing Iron Man or Iron Fist and Power Man uh, circa now. Does she go on to write X Factor or is that somebody else? That is Louise Simonson. Ah, yes. You are correct. Also known as Louise Jones. Got it. Well, I knew it was one of the people that came from the X family. Well. All right. Let's, let's dig in. All right. Finally. We got a lot of issue to handle. This is either going to be a very long episode or it could be very short. Okay. <laughs> That's my prediction. I, I agree with you. Okay. I, I do not think this is going to be a medium episode. It will not be a medium-sized episode. <laughs> All right. So we open up our story outside of a schoolyard. It's dusk, and there's a couple of children running across the hills. They are being chased. And they run into the playground, uh, and we discover that their names are Mark and Jill. Yes. Oh, there's, actually a, there's actually a caption that says that. <laughs> their names are Mark and Jill. <laughs> yep. One's 11, the other one's 9. It doesn't matter. This is all just like setting up plot. Uh, but they're running away. They're wondering what happened to mom and dad. Uh, Mark says, "There's don't worry about them. They can't help us anymore. We're, we're on our own. And that's when he's shot in the back, I think. Yeah, it, there's there's a lot of shooting that happens in this issue. And you can never really tell where anybody gets hit. There's a lot of shooting. There's a lot of blood. But you're right. You generally can't tell where they get shot. Uh, and in this particular one, there is no blood, but there's a shot and he goes down. So he's either shot in the leg or the back. You can't really tell. I think it's his leg because of the way the leg is thrust forward. And that's may or may not be true, but I'm going to go with it. That's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, he's not dead or anything. He uh, he and his sister, they kind of huddle up underneath a slide when these people called the Purifier show up. And they say, we are, we are the Purifiers. I don't know. They, they, I get a real Baroness vibe from this woman. Oh, we are the purifiers. We are the purifiers, Destro. <laughs> no, I don't get that from her at all. <laughs> she doesn't have straight black hair, and that's, that's no, the tip it's, off. It's true. I don't know. And she's, she's not German or anything, but she, she has a Baroness-esque outfit. I feel like her 
character design is somewhat influenced by. I'll give you that. Because she's got kind of, well, it, it's probably blue based on the way it's colored, but it's like a tight fitting one piece outfit. She's got a gun hanging off her hip. She's got a, a utility belt. And it looks like there's some netting on her shoulder. So, very G.I. Joe side note. Larry yes. Hammer invented the Baroness. Well, didn't he invent all of the characters? No. Let me ask you this, Adam. Did the Baroness first appear in action figure form or in comic book form? I don't know that. Oh. <laughs> he basically created her because he felt like there weren't enough female characters and uh, there were no female characters on the bad guys side. Right. Um, he wrote all the index card things or the cards, right? Didn't he? Yep. Yeah, yes, he did. So. Hmm. Interesting side note, Adam. No problem. Uh, she lets them know that their intentions by this point should be clear. We're going to kill you. And she does. Now there's a shot. We don't know where that shot goes, but Jill touches her brother and lifts her hands up and her hands are covered in blood. And she wants to know why. And that's when she gets shot. Boom. So already, you know, like, whoa, this is definitely new heavy territory for the X-Men. First of all, people are getting shot. And second of all, they're children. Right. I feel like Chris Claremont is like a kid with candy. This is freaking... Yeah, he's... He's he's a kid let's loose in a candy store. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. No comics code for you, Chris. You go nuts. You want pornography? You do pornography. You want to kill some kids? You go right ahead. <laughs> he went the latter route, which I, I think works. I mean, if, if for the impact of the story, if this was like a porn X-Men story... I doubt it would have the same impact. I don't know that they would have let him do that. <laughs> no? Be curious. <laughs> yeah, well, anyways, um, this woman purifier, she holsters her weapon, and she uh, instructs her henchmen to hang the children up on the swing to basically send a message, I guess. And this is where I really get the Baroness vibes. It's from this side shot where she puts away her pistol and from this shot from the back. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um uh, you, you probably don't see this because you don't have the actual book, Adam, but this next panel where the child, uh, the boy, Mark, is hanging from the um, swing set and he's got a little sign on him saying Mutie. That's the actual back panel image of this book, only blown up larger. Oh. And it's uh, highlighted in red, so it's it's very effective. Hmm. Yeah, so there you go. Is it bigger than just this panel or is it, it still like chops him off at the nose and just below the sign? It's the exact same panel, just blown up to be like, I don't know, about, I don't know, six times that size just on the back. It doesn't fill the entire back. Like there's a big two-inch black border around the image. Hmm. But, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're hung up on the swing set uh, and it's pretty stark. It's pretty grim. I mean, these are dead children bodies hanging on the swing set. And as the sun sets, uh, the caption notes that the, the purifier's intention is that they will be discovered and made an example as uh, as muties. However, such is not to be. It's not the sunset, Adam. It's the moonset. Oh, right. <laughs> as the sun is getting ready to rise. Correct. And that's when a man who has magnetic manipulation power shows up. A man who needs no introduction. <laughs> and gets no introduction. Shows up, and he, this always confused me, so he reconfigures the swing set into, like, this weird box thing. Oh, that's weird. And he does it in, like, just perfect geometrical triangles. It To me, like, if Magneto, it's Magneto, by the way. <laughs> if he shows up and, like, 
wants to take these children down out of the swing set and he wants to destroy the swing set or whatever, it would just be like a crumpled up mess. But this is like a perfectly shaped rectangular box that he has created out of it. I always thought that was really weird. Is it supposed to be like a coffin, like a makeshift sort of coffin or something? Maybe, but you don't really see it, right? So like he's... He's either, he's got the bodies levitated in the air, so he's either lowering them into this makeshift coffin, which has no walls, right? So it would just be two dead children laying on the ground with this metal cage surrounding them, which would be actually even a completely ineffectual cage because there are no bars, right? It's not even like he's trying to protect these dead children from, you know, roaming coyotes and wolves who might steal the bodies. It's an odd choice. I agree. It's weird. Uh, but Magneto, he comes in and he's, he's he states the obvious. Oh, an execution! Are from not far from the first, not far from the not the first, not far from the last. Only this time the victims are children, so young, so innocent, to no such terror and pain. Makes me very sad. I am power, but for all my vaunted power, I was unable to save them. I'm going to make them pay. Those purifiers, I will take them down. So, New York City, in the Stryker Building. What? The Stryker Building. That's weird. Headquarters of the Worldwide Evangelical Stryker Crusade. So, first appearance of the Stryker Crusade. This issue, man. Yes. Yeah, certainly a lot of value in that. Um, I don't know. He's got a whole building. Well, we'll get more into that later, but... I'm- Chris Claremont is setting something up of course i get it of course but and 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 he's kind of just thrusting us into the middle of the story and and it's weird because this story doesn't really come out of the x-men that we know it sort of does but it sort of doesn't right so it's kind of a story unto itself right but not well yeah i mean it is but it eventually it isn't Right. So, I don't know, the Stryker building's kind of weird, like you've never heard that before. It's this big, tall building in New York City. And then there's this thing, the Worldwide Evangelical Stryker Crusade, which is the name of his movement. And I gotta be honest, even in 1982, if you were to name a movement after, like, some type of a crusade, I, I think people would be like, I don't know, it seems a little um, reminiscent of the, oh, I don't know, Crusades. Those didn't work out too well. <laughs> you might want to change your name, buddy. There is nothing, I mean, they present this guy as, like, reasonable, but he is a whack job. Oh, yeah. Oh, Top yeah. to bottom. Very rich whack job. So he's in his office, and he's reading some scripture, and it, we'll call it Psalm 23. I have no idea what it is. His name is uh, William Stryker, and who is he played by in the movie? I don't. He's played by many people in the movie, Adam. He's oh well. I mean, X Men Two. <laughs> oh, I don't remember who he is. Who should I look it up? Wasn't he somebody famous like Brian? Brian Dennehy is William Stryker. I knew it. I got it right. Brian something. <laughs> no, it wasn't Brian Dennehy. Brian Brian Cox. Brian Cox was William Stryker, and he did a very good job. Sort of. They dropped the evangelical plot. Yes. Right. Which was wise. It would not have gone over well. Well, we'll talk about that as we go through. We'll talk about that. So this guy speaks in a lot of scripture. Yeah. I'm not going to read any of it. I'm, well, here, I'm going to read the part that matters, right? Blah, 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 and shalt stone them with stones till they die. Right? So that kind of sets up like these people are different, uh, and so they should die. It says it right here in the bill, uh, in the um in the Bible. Thy kingdom come, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
<clears throat> and that's when his phone gets buzzed, and uh, he realizes that he's been working for quite a while on his sermon, so he's wondering if some sandwiches and fresh coffee could be brought up. Yeah. So how about that? He's he's a hungry guy, too. <laughs> he's just another dude. Just a guy needing a sandwich. So uh, this part always confused me, but I think I finally pieced it together today. We get our introduction to the X-Men. We get Cyclops. He's got force beams and storms. She's a goddess possessing, or she's a pagan goddess, rather, uh, with weather abilities. We get Wolverine, who apparently has the ability to slice open car engines, based on the picture anyways. <laughs> Colossus is super strong and turns into metal. This person named Ariel, who I have no idea who this is, but apparently she's got a power like Kitty Pride, where she can phase through solid objects. And there's this guy named Nightcrawler who's a teleporter and has acrobatic ability. So I always thought that this was just kind of like a, here's your introductions. <clears throat> no, this is William Stryker narrating. Yes. And I find that hilarious because William Stryker as a narrator sounds exactly like the narrator of X-Men comics. Huh. So maybe William Stryker is an alliteration to Chris Claremont. <gasps> maybe Chris Claremont really feels the way of William Stryker, but he's still masking it. You know, I think he does. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think we're through the looking glass, everybody. Well, I mean, listen to this. Wolverine, former Canadian secret agent, his skeleton is laced with adamantium, make it virtually unbreakable. Razor keen adamantium claws rechecked into bionic housings in his forearms. His body's mutant healing factor is able to cope with almost any wound, disease, or poison. Now, how many times have we heard that before? Obviously, this does a couple of things, right? It 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 shows us that William Stryker is reviewing the X-Men files. It also introduces anybody who's never read an X-Men comic book, which is possible. Maybe you only have a subscription to Marvel graphic novel, and this is the first time you're actually seeing the X-Men. It gives you your introduction to them. Oh, I'm sure this is the first X-Men for a lot of people. Now, the thing that I have the biggest problem with is this whole Ariel thing. <laughs> How does he know when we don't even know that Kitty Pride has changed her costume and has started calling herself Ariel? He's got up-to-the-minute tapes. <laughs> Where did he get these tapes from? I guess we he, learned that in a little while. But He also knows that Professor Charles Xavier is a telepath, which nobody, except for Professor Power and a few select few, uh, individuals, one of whom we will speak about later, uh, No. Yes. It all comes together, though. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, uh, so the secretary's like, oh, are those the X-Men? And she's like, yep, all right, well, I'm going to go off to my sermon now. See you later. Hopefully, if all things go well, those X-Men won't be X-Men much longer. <laughs> Chapter one. Whoa. So I guess that was the prologue. We're only through the prologue, Adam. Uh-oh. And we're 25 minutes into this beast. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right, here we go. Out through the par apartment of some place in Salem Center, which is the home of Stevie Hunter, Barrels, Kitty Pride, and some dude named Danny. Well, it's her, her dance studio. Right. Oh. Does she, does she live there as well? Sure, why not? She lives in the upstairs and the dance studios and the downstairs. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, they uh, there's fisticuffs. They're fighting. And she gets, uh, Kitty gets punched by Danny in the eye. Kitty is demanding an apology. And Ilyana's there and Peter's there. And they're like, what's going on? And this is how we know that Peter is not in love with Kitty. Because if Peter was in love with Kitty and he 
saw her get punched in the face by some guy, he would tear that guy up. You, you would think so. He's He comes off as a much older and very level-headed older brother figure here, where he steps in and he's like, all right, everybody, let's sort this mess out. Kitty, who threw the first punch? I did, because he said something bad. What did you say, Danny? Meanwhile, Danny's saying, let the little tramp loose. I'll blacken her other eye. I mean, come on. At this point, if you're Peter, you're like, all right, little boy, sit down. <laughs> but he hears them both out, and we also get uh, Ilana's holding uh, Katie back. She starts phasing, um, and we, we eventually find out that Danny is preaching the word of Reverend Stryker in his crusade, and he has heard that uh, the muties are evil, and they deserve whatever it is they get. Then he goes on and says, you want to make something of it? Muty lover? Whoa. And that's when Colossus says, You have made both your points, young man. I suggest you let matters end here. And presumably this is a threatening tone. Because the guy's like, Hey, anything you say, Mr. Rasputin, no problem. I find it funny here in this middle panel of Danny. There's just like this big black glob on Danny's face. Oh, yeah. I don't know <laughs> if like the anchor just, Oops, well, too late to fix this. Oopsie doodly, drop some ink. It's not a shadow, it's not a, doesn't accentuate his face at all, it's just, it's a clear mistake. He's a mutant, it's his second <laughs> mouth manifesting. Aha. Uh -huh. And so he takes off and he makes a little threatening remark as he uh, leaves. Next time when King Kong is around, it'll be my turn, but he never follows up on that threat. I thought and... this would have been a decent uh, plot device for him to later on like be a part of Reverend Stryker's gang and be like, there they are, the muties. But well, we, we can bring him into the story. I, we can, but we have no confirmation that it is. <laughs> I'll, I'll agree with whatever you say. All right. Uh, so they go on and uh, Stevie, she's like, oh, you, it's not that big of a deal. You could have crippled him you with your training. And besides, it's not that big of a deal. Which is weird because, like, that guy just punched her in the face. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and was threatening her. Right. Well, I mean, Stevie Hunter does go on to say, They're only words, child. Which, whoa. Then Kitty, <laughs> I'm not going to say it. She she drops the, the N-word. She's like, supposed he'd... Wait. Suppose he called me a N-word lover, Stevie. I don't think we we can't use that voice for this issue. Would you be so damn tolerant then? You have to, Adam. She's an established <laughs> character. You can't go changing the voice now. This is not the same character. It is the Kitty Pride that we know would never have said any of these things. You're absolutely you're you're a hundred percent right, and it'll be interesting to see how the character of Kitty is in the comic book after we've read this because up until this point she's kind of been a little strong-willed but kind of finding her way kitty pride and here she's like i stand for this You're, you won't break me down i'm gonna stand up for this this is right i mean this is definitely a kitty pride who has found herself and is not 13 but like 17 maybe yeah but well, yeah. but i'm still gonna use the voice because <laughs> Four years hasn't passed since the last issue. Um, but that's pretty, that's, that's boom, microphone dropped, right? I mean, she just, she just, she just said it. And here's the other, other interesting thing, Adam, uh, spoilers. This is not the only time she uses that word in an X-Men comic book. Really? Yeah, there's another one that we won't get to for about 20 or so issues, but 
boom, she drops oh. it again. The precedence has been dropped. Yeah, yeah. And I it, feel like this is just Chris Claremont saying, okay, I'm setting up, like, I need you to get what I'm trying to say here. Well, right. And it's crystal clear. And honestly, like, as I read those words, uh, I, I'm not, I, I see no offense. I think it's well written. And I, I think it, it perfectly accentuates the point on the exclamation there. Uh, and so, in my opinion, it, it works just fine. It's pretty blatant, but Boom. yeah, it yeah, works. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could insert gay there or that word or anything. And obviously the point that we're making is that we're just discriminating based on color, ability, or, well, they don't do sexual preference in this. It's 1982. They, they haven't, they're not ready to address that yet. <laughs> Anyways. I, I kind of want to like read this issue as though it's a regular issue and change all of the words to more appropriate things. What do you mean? Oh, like, what do you mean? When you say more appropriate, when she says damn, say like darn yeah or and they're going to use other strong language that i won't spoil yet but just change those to all of the kind of comics approved yeah you know so what would what would she have said to stevie there that's a tough one i don't know (laughs) i mean like what were i mean there are some there are some words that you could use to substitute but they're all offensive yeah (laughs) so all right well we'll just leave it that what about uh suppose he'd call me called me a commie lover (laughs) That's probably what they would have changed it to. It had been like, duh, I see your point. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, they walk away. Peter's like uh, to Stevie, uh, she did not mean. And Stevie sheds a tear and she's like, of course she meant it, my friend. She meant every word and she was right. You know, so I, if you didn't get the point on the last page, the point is now made on this page. It's weird because like the Marvel Universe is known for taking words and adding IE to the end of them. And now they do it with mutant, and it becomes muty, and now it's a bad thing. Uh, well, Adam, muty was dropped early on in the run, if you recall. Uh, I, I, I know. Oh, I know okay. there's, there's definitely that. It's just, it's like, it, to make muty, muty, they needed to have made up a word, is what I'm saying. Because muty is just slang for mutant. Yeah. And they should have come up with some sort of hateful word and really hyped up it, and just kind of like used it over and over again. So it would be some sort of made-up word that they use right, rather right. than... I just don't feel like muty is strong enough. All right, how about this one? Glingfloor. <laughs> yes, I like it. <laughs> You're a glingfloor lover, aren't you? Oh, my like, God! Like, what do they What do they call the uh, humans in uh, in Extinction Agenda? Aren't they like jean oh. bags or something like that? Well, or? they're actually they're called uh, the mutants are called gene jokes in Extinction Agenda. I don't remember what See? they're. That's that's pretty good. I like gene jokes. I never really liked that term. It's it's better than muty. Really, I I, I don't know. Muty is uh, elegant in its simplicity, and it's, it's. I mean, if you look at it written like muty, like I don't know, gene joke is two syllables. The JJ, I don't know. I get what you're saying, though. I mean, gene joke does make more sense because it's a new word to just to negatively uh, refer to somebody. But anyway, I don't know. Yeah, well. <laughs> There's some pacifiers. I'm sorry, purifiers sitting outside of the dance studio. And they're like. Every time you say pacifiers, I just see giant pacifiers. <laughs> Do you hear this? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> she isn't a mutant. <laughs> Leave her be. So these purifiers are sitting outside. They want to blow away Stevie Hunter, but the one calm, rational one's like, "He's a human. Let's let's we'll deal with those muty lovers later. For now, let's 
continue with Operation Headhunter, whatever that is. Maybe that's the problem, is that they drop the mutie word all the time. And when they drop the N-word, it's like, you know, we can't even say it. Right. Right. And it's and it's just like so it's like it's it's got a huge history behind it. And right. Well, so I think maybe they're just using it too much in this book for it to really have that power. Yeah. And I mean, even we're only like six pages into this thing, but the <laughs> yeah, word, no, 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 that's OK. No, no, it's a good conversation. The word muty has been dropped many times. I uh, would almost say that it's probably been dropped in this uh, book more than it's been dropped in X-Men comics total up until now. So, I mean, obviously, they're really trying to to beat that in there and try to also amp up the mutant fear fear hysteria. Right. So, again, it'll also be interesting to see how the next run of books goes after this, even though, as this was written in 1982, it wasn't maybe directly supposed to be in canon right well anyways so we uh we slide our way on over to the mansion uh and everybody's kind of happy like peter shows up it's like duh my girlfriend was just punched in the face but uh i'm ready to watch tv <laughs> i like this conversation between kitty and, and wolverine i do too that's that's some china you're sporting pumpkin scrap or accident scrap fair fight i guess so you win nope how come? I guess I don't have your killer instincts, Wolverine. That all there is to it? And then she goes on to say she wasn't fighting an evil mutant, just some kid with a big mouth. It's no big deal. So that's definitely your Uncle Wolverine story. And him getting to the point of, like, something doesn't add up here. What else are you, what are you hiding, girl? Right. And so they, they all have a big date to watch the professor who's going to be on ABC News Nightline. Now... Is John Cheever, is that is that a real person? You know, I was going to look that up, and I didn't. Oh. So I'm going to do that now. John. I'm, going to, I'm guessing that it is. I'm going to guess it is as well. Uh, the American novelist and short story writer. Well, there's that. Here, we'll do ABC News. Oh, yeah. There was absolutely a John Cheever of ABC News. Okay. Um, All right, then. Whether or not he was actually an anchor or not is a totally different... I mean, John Cheever has a Facebook page I see here. Oh. <laughs> here, let's do an image. Let's see if we can get a picture of him. Oh, yeah. Eh, this guy that I'm getting Google images of doesn't look like the guy that's rendered here. The guy that's rendered here as John Cheever looks a lot like Clark Kent. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. <laughs> Good evening. I'm Clark Kent. <laughs> I'm talking tonight mutants and here with me to discuss it professor charles xavier renowned authority on human genetics and the reverend william striker founder of the uh striker crusade one of the foremost and most influential uh electronics evangelical electronics <laughs> what electronics evangelical ministries god that's why electronics mouthful. well where uh, did the electronics come in at all he as we will see in the book, he has a lot of electronics at his disposal. He does. That's just weird. It, I, you know what? This is the first time I think I've ever read that full sentence together like that. Electronics Evangelical Ministries. Not to be confused with the crusades that happened a long time ago that wiped out many people. This is a better crusade. <laughs> Professor, let's start with you. So the professor goes in. He's like, hey, man, don't judge a book by its cover. And uh, in typical... I don't know, like, I kind of feel like, and maybe it's my political slants and leanings, but there, 
that uh, Chris Claremont's portraying the professor as kind of a factual, nervous Democrat, whereas Reverend Stryker's being portrayed as a very well-articulated but kind of fear-mongering Republican. Well, see, yeah, I I I, I agree with you. However, I I because the the way that the X Men react to uh, Stryker, his television appearance is that he's very likable. So yeah. in yes. my mind, he comes across as Republican Bill Clinton. Yeah, okay, I could go with that. Uh, uh, so so he starts off and he's like, "Now there you go, Charles. These individuals of yours possess some pretty terrifying powers." How are we common folk to defend ourselves against them? And if I may quote from Robert Kelly's blah, 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 mutant activities. So um, was it X2 where somebody was trumpeting up like, uh, what's to keep? Oh, no, that was uh, that was Robert Kelly in the first X-Men movie where they're talking about like, uh, what's to keep a mutant out of Fort Knox to steal all of our gold or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did they do any of that uh, in X2? I thought they did. It sounds really familiar. Yeah. Well, anyways. So Kitty, well, anyways, they cut to commercial after, like, they get two things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Kitty... Makes me wonder what kind of TV they have in the Marvel Universe. Sits there, and this is where another where you kind of like, if it's Kitty from a couple of issues ago, she's probably like, gosh, this doesn't seem good. But she's laying... I mean, she's Wolverine Jr. She's laying back there, arms up against uh, the side of the couch, and she's just like, right. Ileana, she's the one who's like, gosh, you don't look so dangerous. Saying a joke, Ileana. The sucker means business. Nightcrawler's like, quiet, I don't want to miss this commercial. And Colossus says, you dummy, they have switched to a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) They should have given the professor a chance to respond. So from the control room... Uh, they're kind of like, hey, you, you think this Xavier guy's making a case? Yeah, well, yeah but nobody's listening to him. Stryker's, uh, he's he's much more personable. He knows TV, he's playing the audience, and he comes off as such a nice... Re- so everything we just said, uh, in case you didn't get it, everybody, this is how everybody's being portrayed. Uh, they cut and, the- and, and everybody with a brain in this issue is... Re- saying, whoa, that guy's really scary. Yeah, but apparently nobody, uh, uh, there's a lot more people that are like, yeah, I kind of get what this guy's saying. It's a lot like the real world, but kind of compacted into a, uh, you know, black and white comic book, essentially. Yes, sure. So Kitty, she's, again, not not so innocent here, or not so young little Kitty. She's like, good riddance, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm suddenly in the mood to break something. Let's go to the danger room. Kitty's like the leader of the X-Men for the next few pages. She is, absolutely. So we get a little montage of everybody changing into their costumes. Oh, I know why. Because this is Ariel. This isn't Sprite. Oh, all right. So Ariel in Latin must mean grown-up Sprite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Or maybe this is Days of Future Past Sprite. Or yeah, yeah. Kitty. Yeah. Definitely possible. <laughs> we'll never know. Uh, and so they wrap the set and, um, Kitty, or I'm sorry, Cyclops and, uh, Storm, they're sitting in the wings talking about like, how'd it go? I don't think it went very well. The professor looks scary on TV. Reverend Stryker looks good. This hopefully won't do too much damage to our case. We should have got somebody to do his makeup. <laughs> uh, Cyclops gets bumped by a familiar looking woman who almost has Baroness-like features. <laughs> She's um, very... Uh, she she looks very purifying. Yes. Uh, she, she is apologetic. She's like, I'm sorry. And she bumps into 
<clears throat> Reverend Starker, and this is where we find out that her name is Anne. We'll take them in Central Park. What is she chewing on, Adam? She's sucking on a pacifier. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> uh, uh, Reverend Stryker lets us know that there were side screens up to prevent Xavier from scanning their thoughts. They're planning an ambush. Look out. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the danger room, we get... Honestly, it's it's needless, but it's kind of cool. It's whole, yeah, it's, it's, whole a, it's a danger room sequence to, uh, you know, it's another, this is what the X-Men do. This is an X-Men thing. It's it's two page it's a two page filler, uh, but it works well. So Ilana sits sets up kind of curious how she figured this out, but she sets out this kind of Rube Goldberg thing of things that they have to do. In effect, they have to protect a group of mannequins and get a very heavy object onto a target. And uh, Ilana gives each one of them a certain task that is for all intents and purposes, next to impossible based on their abilities. Good luck, X-Men. You'll need it. So, Good luck, X-Men. You'll need it. So the X-Men try to operate within the rules of the danger room that have been laid out by Ilana, but they're not getting anywhere. And so that's when Kitty's like, okay, let's change the rules. Colossus, you do this. Nightcrawler, you help Wolverine. And Colossus, you throw the thing onto the target. Boom. Yes. Exercise over. And so yep. the one thing that I find weird here, so that, again, we we didn't do that scene justice because there's just so much going on, and it's it's great. It's good solo work, and it's good teamwork. It's well drawn. But I wish that this would have set up a situation further along in the comic book where the X-Men would have found themselves in a situation similar to this where the stakes were higher and everything, and they could... Not, you know, like bluntly call back to it, but subtly call back to this exercise. Well, if this were a movie and today, it totally would. Right. Because, yeah. you know, I, I just think in the 80s, it's certainly with comic books, they they hadn't figured out the formula yet. Gotcha. So what you're saying. They've probably figured it out in movies by now. Right. Oh, and in, in the uh, 80s, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think I think you're right, though. I think it's so much more by the numbers these days. You don't show anything in a movie unless it's going to directly pertain to something that you're going to see later on. Right. Yeah. So maybe I'm thinking too formulaic. And maybe this is just like, hey, this is what the X-Men do now. Move on to the next scene. What I don't like about this scene is that uh, they, they terminate the the uh, exercise and then the screen says evaluation mode running. And so I'm expecting the evaluation to come back. Like all the X-Men kind of fail because... No one did what they were supposed to do. Well, Adam, we don't get the score until we jump to a different scene. I know. So we'll we'll catch up with that later. Which is weird, right? You would expect, like, if we're going to do the scores, we would do the scores on the next page. But no, before we get to the scores, we got to do this other thing. Well, this other thing's pretty good. Well, it's, it's an important plot point. The professor and uh, is getting driven back to the mansion by Cyclops and Aurora. They're talking about how dangerous the striker situation is. They're being followed. They don't realize it yet because of, as striker mentioned, uh, they have those psi power blockers, psi screen well, shielders. The, the professor even knows that he was like, there was something blocking my abilities. I wonder if he's aware of my abilities. Hmm. How does he know? And at the last second, uh, as the X-Men take a turn, the professor senses hostile thought patterns and... Uh, it's an ambush, and it looks like they get shot with like a bazooka or something. I'm I'm pretty sure they do, although you don't see the bazooka shooter. I think later on 
you see some guy with a rocket launcher. I feel like, though, if you leave a television studio and you hop in your car and you're like, hey, man, I think there were size screens up. Wouldn't you be like, hmm, somebody <laughs> knows something. Like Maybe we shouldn't go on our pre-prescribed route back. I don't know. Maybe maybe we should call for the Blackbird and fly out of here. Well, they're not expecting. I mean, they have no idea yet that Striker, the Striker Crusade is this well organized and uh, violent, I suppose. Sure. No, and you're right. I mean, this is more violence than we've ever seen in a X-Men comic. Uh, and a very neat panel here, too. So the car gets shot by, I think, a bazooka rocket launcher. And without any line breaks or panels or whatever, you get three pictures, which kind of morph into a fourth picture of the car ex- getting shot, crashing into a lamppost, and flipping over. It's mm-hmm. ver- It's very cool. It's very cool. I like it. Cyclops realizes that the professor is knocked out and uh, he can't mind call anybody. So he's got to blast the door open and takes control of the situation. Aurora, you take care of the professor. I'll handle the opposition as soon as you're airborne. Summon a fog to cover our escape. But it was not meant to be. As we see a sniper uh, sitting in a car or maybe a helicopter. I don't know. Not sure. But isn't this crazy? I mean, of all of the stories we've read, I mean, this this thing that Cyclops says to, like, do this and make some fog and we'll escape has been done over and over and over again. Uh, and yet before they can even react or get going, somebody shoots Cyclops with a gun. Yep. And uh, as Aurora tries to escape with the professor, she gets shot, too. So they're both and we don't know where. Right. This is another case of we hear the gunshots. We see them react to the gunshots, but we don't see any blood, and we don't see where the entry wound is. They both look like headshots, though. They do. I mean, the way, definitely the way Storm is arced. It looks like she just got shot in the head. Cyclops, again, he maybe he got shot in the back of the kneecap, or maybe he got shot in the face. You really just can't tell. Um, so, I, I don't know. I just With all of the evil mutants and villains that they've fought, I mean, like all it took was like some guy with a M16 to just shoot him <laughs> and be like, okay, well, we've defeated the X-Men. At least two of them. And then another guy shows up with a bazooka, this time for sure, shoots it at the car, and it explodes into a fiery explosion. Holy crap, Cyclops and Storm are freaking dead. Presumably the professor. Oh, and the professor, yeah. And even Anne, she's like, Rocco, notify the reverend, mission accomplished. And the blob thinks to himself, why didn't I think of that? A gun? I, I could have just shot him? All those circus freaks, no gun. Now we get the danger room statistics, which is kind of oddly separated, but whatever. Wolverine did the best because, to be fair, he's the only one who didn't deviate from his assignment. That's correct. So everybody got a passing score. I mean, Nightcrawler... Why did Nightcrawler get the worst score? I don't know. He got the worst in Solo. Pretty good in Sin, S-Y-N, Synchronicity. Fantastic. Uh, anyways, his overall score is a 96.7. Anyways, uh, but yeah, but Kitty's like, how? Why are you so grumpy, Wolverine? You did the best in this test. It's a game. Games are for kids. And he chops the mannequin's head off with his claws. So as they're walking back to maybe debrief about their danger room experience, the phone rings and Nightcrawler answers it. Xavier School, Kurt Wagner speaking. May I help you? What? That was the police. There's been an accident. Professor Xavier Scott and Aurora are dead. And you get this 
great panel. I mean, I don't know how this room is this big because we just saw it earlier and it is not this big. Uh, and it's also fully furnished in earlier pictures. But it's an empty room that they're standing in. Uh, the light is casting in from the door, casting a huge silhouette of Wolverine while the rest of the X-Men are sitting in the room. I almost feel like it's Batman-esque. It's, it's uh, drama-esque. Yes. All right, I'll give you that. Hi, drama. Chapter 2, Adam. What's our time check? Oh, just about 50 minutes. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Kitty is on a bluff, and she is very, very sad. Aw. Ilana comes up, and she's like, hey, man, what's going on? (laughs) Kitty's like, are you serious? Like, really? Like, didn't you see what happened? I wanted to be left alone. They were my friends. And Ilana's like, but uh, they were my friends, too. That's when Kitty's like, fine. We're fine. Let's be friends. Let's skip some stones. (laughs) I can't believe they're dead in a car crash. After all we've been through to have them killed in a lousy car crash. And the really crazy thing is I still don't believe it's true. I hate death. (laughs) She says on the next page. Yes, she does. There isn't very much we can do about it. Yeah, Peter and I had a talk about it one. Seems like ages ago. What? A talk about what? About death, remember, on the brood ship? Oh, 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 is that what she's referring to? It's got to be. It's the only time that there was an actual conversation about death, unless they're referring to something that happened off panel. No, I, I, you're probably right. I mean, this this comic book, again, tries to take place on its own, so there are no editor's notes or asterisks denoting what they're referencing. And there's a couple of reference points that I don't know, we may or may not re- refer to. But anyways. Right. Although, although a big question is why is the professor not walking? Well, Adam. I, I guess he... We, he can't walk yet. But. Yeah. Remember, he got up, and then he fell down. So he's probably still in that state. Plus, he doesn't really get much, quote unquote, screen time in here. So, But you think he would be at least followed around by Mo- Moira McTaggart or Lilandra? That's true. You would. I would anyways. Well. Irrelevant. Yes. Ilana, uh, she quotes something. And I don't know what it is. And then they go into, you care for my brother, don't you? We're good friends. You're blushing. Think. <laughs> Think. <laughs> what the hell? I'm surprised she didn't call her, like, uh, something horrible. (laughs) Bitch. (laughs) My folks would croak if they knew. Why? They consider Peter an adult. Well, I'm still their darling little girl. Crushes are cool, but falling in love for real is the penultimate no-no. And the ultimate? Sex. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't say sex. She says, take a guess, and... I got to be honest, like younger Jeremy, who read this multiple times, had no idea, <laughs> A, what penultimate meant, but B, what take a guess meant. I was like, <laughs> kissing? Oh. Oh, Mother Volga, I forgot one of the reasons I was looking for you before we started talking about you having sex with my brother. <laughs> I found this weird electronic surveillance thing over here. Totally forgot to tell you until just now. Isn't that weird? Look at it. <laughs> so... Kitty phases through it in order to dismantle it, and her plan is that they're just going to wait there until somebody comes to fix this thing. This is a terrible plan. Yeah, and I mean, especially because they're hiding like four feet away in the bushes. Um, yeah, it's like, well, do we, maybe somebody planted it like a week ago, and it's going to take them a week to get out there. Yeah, I don't know. It, you would think that the mansion itself would have like a surveillance system where they could like, all right, hey. Why don't we point the camera on that thing? We'll hang out in the mansion, eat some popcorn, and see if somebody shows up. Yeah. And in fact, we know it does because we saw in the last episode. 
Absolutely. But uh, eh, no, they don't. Wolverine and Colossus are checking out the scene of the car crash. Wolverine feels like it doesn't add up and that uh, these he can smell that the bodies are not the bodies of Charlie, uh, Xavier, Scott, and Aurora. And uh, he has Kurt watching their Rolls Royce and he discovers that the Rolls Royce is being watched by some purifiers. So the X-Men make a plan. What's what's our next move? Uh, let's nail the futzers. He doesn't say futzers, Adam. <laughs> I'm aware of that. He says, let's nail the bastards. <laughs> so, whoa, blood, kids dying, X-Men swearing, and not just saying damn in hell at this point. Oh, an N-word dropped. Oof. It's real. Let's nail the futzers. <laughs> and so Anne and Random Goon are in the car, and they're like, oh, uh, do you see the muties? Nope, but we'll see him soon. And then they're like, oh, look, Colossus, he's in his costume for some reason. And then Nightcrawler shows up. He shows up in the uh, binocular viewfinder, all blurry. What the hell? Boo! What the Hades? <laughs> and she says, Nightcrawler, I've read your bio file, so I'm going to call you by your code name. Wolverine slices open the door. Scoot, bub. <laughs> and the and she's like, we can't allow ourselves to be captured. It would be better to die instead and in the process take some of them out with them. So she slams on the gas. She's got Nightcrawler on the hood and she's heading directly towards Colossus. Colossus is sitting there. He's like, well, I'm fleshy. If I, ev- if I try to evade them, they will follow on the busy street. Innocent people will be harmed. So I'm going to turn into Colossus. It's kind of a cool panel. He, he runs up and Nightcrawler bamps the uh, purifier lady out of the car. And uh, in an action movie extravaganza scene, Cyclops smashes down on the engine of the car and the car flips over over the top of him in the next panel. He's looking back at the car and he's holding the engine. You mean Colossus because Cyclops is dead. Oh, did I say Cyclops? You did, but that's okay. I, I do that a lot. <laughs> I like this panel though. I mean, it's it's three or four panels of him destroying the car. And then in this last panel, he's like, oh, either I'm getting stronger, comrades, or automobiles are not so sturdy or powerful as they used to be. Uh-huh. And he's just got this huge grin on his face and he's holding up the engine and that's when we see some electronic evangelical purifiers see adam yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) okay they come out of the car and in a very i don't know i like this panel of nightcrawler too where he's just kind of splayed out in an awkward pose and he's like colossus look out behind you there's more people wolverine tells nightcrawler to port over there and tackle them but for some reason nightcrawler never does he doesn't. But uh, it's okay. One of them shoots Colossus in the back and gets sucked up into the air. And they actually, they both get sucked up into the air and their costumes get ripped off of them. And the they are uh, covered in automobile parts. So you think one of these guys is Danny? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> so they get wrapped up in metal parts. They turn around. Should we be grateful, Wolverine, or run for our lives? You. She. Th- Sheath your clothes, Wolverine. Now, for me, reading this comic book when I read it, 1988, it was established that at this point, spoilers, Magneto had reformed and was actually, spoilers, if you don't want to hear this, you should probably fast forward like just three minutes, the headmaster of Xavier's Institute and leading the New Mutants. 
So for me, and I knew that he was a villain in the past, but I didn't know exactly where this fell in the lineup. So for me to see him kind of helping out the X-Men wasn't like a shock. But if you read this in canon, or the way, I mean, the last time we saw him was issue 150, where he was kind of a reformed bad guy, but still kind of like, next time we meet X-Men, blah, 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 blah. And so this really is the first time that we're seeing Magneto kind of show up and be like, hey, man, I'm here as a friend and an ally if you'll have me. You want to yep. get, get a bagel? <laughs> Some schmear? It's on me? I don't know. I'll take you up on that. I am could use some locks. <laughs> so, I don't know. There's there's some level of significance there, I think. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's good usage of the character. Well, and not only that, I mean this issue also gives us has been giving us new information about the X universe. Uh specifically in the next panel or portion here, uh the girls were hiding in the bushes 5 feet away from that surveillance device. Um Finally, the plan comes to fruition when a group shows up to be like, hey, this thing's broken. Let's fix it. So Kitty phases into the ground. She's like, stay here, Ilana. I'll go figure something out and save you. And we get some description here. Taking a deep breath, Kitty phases down into the hill beneath her and starts across the clearing. It's like swimming, only Earth is a far more medium for her than water. And she can't see where she's going. She hopes she reaches cover before she runs out of air. That's new information. Yes. So that, that's interesting. So apparently when Kitty phased through the surveillance device, all she did was turn the power off because this guy's like, okay, I turned it back on. We're fine. Well, no, he does some fixing. He's all like, be fixed in a jiffy, boss. <laughs> and as soon as it goes on, beep, beep. Presumably a, a, biffy, a jiffy later is when he <laughs> turns on the, the power switch. Do, I, do, immediately he performs a... Wait, oh, so this woman in the car that Nightcrawler takes out is not Anne. I thought it was Anne. Okay, never mind. Did you know that uh, a jiffy is a measurement of time? I'm not surprised. (laughs) How long is a jiffy? I don't remember. So they perform a perimeter sweep before they leave, and they discover Ilyana. And she tries to run away, but that's when Anne shows up with a Han Solo-style pistol. Um, A little bit. And... uh, Shoots, shoots Ileana in the face. Bam. I think a jiffy is either one sixtieth or one fiftieth of a second. Mm. So there you go. Uh, what's a skippy? Uh, I don't have that information up in front of me. I believe that's peanut butter time. Okay. It's slow and sticky. <laughs> so the pacifier, uh, I don't know if you said this already because I wasn't paying attention. She shoots Ilana in the face. Yeah, I said it. Oh, okay. She shot Ilana in the face. But I guess not because she says, is she, uh, someone asks, is, is a mutie, is she dead? And Anne says, stunned Rocco, put her in my car. So this is weird to me because the gun that's drawn looks like a bullet shooting pistol. It's got a clip, it's got a scope, it's got recoil, it's got a flare. So the whole stun thing would make a little bit more sense if they drew like a laser. But I mean, Well, as I said, it, to me it looks like Han Solo's gun. Oh, see, I wasn't listening, Adam. But yeah, it totally looks like Han Solo's I can gun. tell. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I suppose Han Solo's gun did fire lasers, too. And Chewbacca's crossbow fired lasers. What was the point of the crossbow, Adam? Um, that was his we- the weapon of his people. Yeah, but what, what, the cross portion of the gun served no purpose. I don't know. Did, did Chewbacca ever actually fire his gun? Sure, he fired it, maybe, like in Star Wars. But he doesn't, like, pull the thing back and, and make it 
like a bow. I don't know. You know, I feel like the crossbow was mainly an invention of the toys. No, I mean, it's in the movies. Someone pointed this out to me the other day. You've seen the new Star Wars trailer, right? Yeah. They should have made uh, Chewbacca's fur have some gray in it. Oh, yeah. Nope. Well, uh, you never know. Maybe in the Star Wars universe. Wait a minute. Chewbacca was in like Star Wars 3, wasn't he? Yeah. Maybe he's one of those creatures that can live like 300 years. So he's he's just at midlife at this point. Well, that's fine. But even Yoda had sideburns. That's true. I think you're right. Maybe... Maybe when we get to episode nine, Chewie will have some gray. I'm just saying it would have been a nice touch. No, I think you're right. I mean, they even gave uh, Fozzie some gray eyebrows in the Muppet movie. Really? Oh, yeah. Huh. Isn't that weird? That's that's cool. Yeah. You're going to watch the new Muppet show? I am. Yeah, me too. I love the Muppets. I do too. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the mid-trilogy, though. The Treasure Island, Muppets from Space, and I think there's another one. Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah, Muppets from Space was terrible. I did kind of like Muppets Christmas Carol. It's okay, but it's, I don't know. Anyways, uh, we're... we're, uh, We can't afford to sidetrack. No, no, we can't. So Anne has got uh, uh, stunned Ilana in the backseat of a car, and she's like, "Uh, let's go. But before she does, Kitty phases into the trunk. She's like, well, I guess I will find out where these people are going, and then I'll do something. But But inside of the car, they have a security breach detection unit, (laughs) which looks a lot like a telephone. And they determine that someone's in the in the uh, in the trunk. Conveniently, though, we have a nerve gas uh, vent directly in the trunk in case someone sneaks into our trunk, you know, (laughs) as you do. Or maybe like maybe we deposit somebody in the trunk and we need to knock him out because he's making too much noise. I don't know. That makes sense. I mean, usually when you put somebody in the trunk, you knock them out, maybe. I I don't know. What if, Adam, you do? You knock the person out, you put him in the trunk, and he's knocked out. But you're driving from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. Now, he's going to wake up at some point. You got to hit him with some more nerve gas. Well, I guess that's a good reason to have both a, like, maybe it's like a movement detector or something. (laughs) Oh, he's moving. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think this much gas is going to harm him long term? What do we care? We're mobsters. <laughs> so as they leave, the X-Men show up. And they are now interrogating the two guys that they caught. We get a classic Wolverine doing his one claw at a time with the middle claw in the middle. I think like this is the first usage of this. Is it? I think so. I thought I thought we'd seen it once before. Maybe. But maybe I'm just thinking of something else. Maybe it's, it was a maybe it's a classic X Men. It's a yeah, it could be. It's a very cool uh, sequence here. Uh, but the guy's not going to talk. He's like, well, I don't care. Poke that thing through my brain. It'll only hurt a little bit. I mean, he's thinking this. I'm guessing because it's not working. And Magneto he chimes in and he's like, Wolverine, may I suggest an alternative? The Snickets are in the wrong place. Because it goes, that's one, snick it, that's two, snick it, want to go for three? It should be, snick it, that's one, snick it, that's two, want to go for three? That's a good point. You're lucky. He says, your lucky day, pal. We get some more, and uh, that's when Magneto goes to work. And I'm not sure what he does. He tortures the heck out of him. I mean, that's all that I can figure out. It doesn't really look like that. It kind of looks like, I don't really even know what it looks like. He's just manipulating metal all over the place. I don't know why the guy has stuff around his fingers. Um, but I, the the idea is that he's torturing him. 
I guess you could use your imagination. Like, so they were wrapped in metal pieces, like little cocoons, essentially. He stripped that off this guy, so he's naked and he's swirling around with mag uh, uh, magnets. But I mean, I guess you could say that maybe Magneto's doing something like really dark here. Maybe he's like making this metal go into these guys' pores and then back out, and something that's just like not killing them but just like ridiculously painful because eventually they spilled beans. If you look at the metal near his face, it's very sharp. So maybe he's like threatening to poke his eyes out or something. I don't know. I, I would find the threats of being poked in the face with metal to be similar to Wolverine's threat of stabbing him in the chin. So I don't know. I don't know, Adam. Maybe we don't actually ever see him again. So maybe they are scraping the shit out of him and, He's just got blood all over the place. Jeremy, you swore. Adam, it's this comic book. It really brings out the worst in me. What is what is going on with his fingers? Any idea? The things that are coming out of his fingers? Yeah. I never noticed that until this read-through. But yeah, I don't know. He's just got like these... Maybe that's the torture. It's like this big elaborate metal contraption. And all it's doing is it's pulling on his fingers a little bit. <laughs> and the guy's like, ow! God, God that's fine. It's Reverend Stryker. God, Stop. <laughs> I need those fingers. I really like my fingers. Once more, genocide in the name of God. A story as old as the race. Was this necessary? Was what necessary? The torture or is this dude dead? Oh, I don't... You think he's dead? I have no <laughs> idea. We don't actually get to see. Yeah, maybe he is. I didn't even think of that because I'm thinking of the X-Men as the X-Men that we're familiar with. Not, not, uh, not these super... Graphic novel X-Men? Not the, the graphic novel X-Men, yeah. Is this necessary? Yup. But if, but if we use the methods of our, f- of our foes, uh, mein Freund, how are we better than they? So, I don't know. Wolverine was about to pop a claw into his head. What could be worse than that? Uh, Magneto popped a automobile engine in his head. Yeah, well, I guess that would be worse. So, yeah, so what we're saying is in the professor's study right now, there's just a headless henchman with just blood everywhere. Something like that. Okay. Chapter three. Woo. What's our time check? Oh, we're we're just about at an hour ten. There's like ten chapters, right? Just just ten. So uh, we're about a quarter of the way through this. Okay. <laughs> we're at the World Trade Center, and on the top of the World Trade Center... Uh, the X-Men, who are, well, they're calling it Golgotha, which I believe is a place in the Bible, like a bad yeah, place. Yeah, it's a bunch of Bible scripture. Yeah. Uh, and the X-Men are kind of demon-esque, and they are crucifying uh, the professor. They crucify him, and Nightcrawler, suck, I guess, does like a vampire sort of thing. And uh, Well, it says here... Uh, each of the X-Men come to pay his respects and bid him farewell. So each X-Man, like, just does something horrible to him. I really like Kitty's. It's 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 a cool use of her power. She pulls out his heart. But I would think that would be it. I mean, once you pull out the heart, it's, nobody really needs to pay their respects anymore. Yeah, that's the second thing. And then she gives him a little kiss on the cheek. Wolverine comes and guts him, I think. Yeah. Uh, and Storm um, electrocutes him. So... The final panel of this big montage of torture is just kind of a a bubbly, burnt professor. It's pretty gross. And then Cyclops, I guess, offers the final shot uh, where instead of shooting him with his eye beams, a miasmic fog erupts from Cyclops' eyes to enshroud Xavier like a lover. 
as his beloved students do unto him, and they believe he did to them, they have become creatures of ultimate evil. They seek to make him so he no longer resists. So I guess, is he enshrouding him with, like, dread? When was the last time your lover enshrouded you? Oh, man, last night. <laughs> he enshrouded all over the place. <laughs> so many towels, it was ridiculous. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, so I, I guess I don't really know what Cyclops is shooting him with. I mean, it, the picture is of darkness being shot out of his eyes in a fog around a giant professor head and then the rest of the x-men kind of being swept up in it it looks like right and that's so that this light can be cast down into the darkness and inside of the light is a man dressed all in white who reaches out his hand to the professor who has a big smile on his face but then a flash of doubt flares into him and he gets sucked back from being able to grab the hand of his savior and then we cut into what's really happening, which is that turns out the professor is suspended in a isolation tank. Mm-hmm. Total sensory deprivation. Uh, and there's, there's a guy, his name is Philip, and apparently he's got, he's got like a team of people running a whole bunch of electronics. So imagine the application for that. Like, do you want to work in a high-paced top electronical field? Check your morals at the doors because we're torturing mutants. <laughs> So there's a team of people that are working some controls. He's working the master control, and he's like, oh, all right, we're almost there. But resistance is a little bit more than I expected. And it's explained that uh, Cyclops and Storm, who turns out are alive. (gasps) What? Yeah, yeah, seriously. You thought they were dead, didn't you? I did. Well, no, they are alive, and they are being tortured, and they are connected to the professor, and he feels their torture, but... Because of his confused state, he believes that the pain that he is receiving from the X-Men torture is actually coming from the X-Men and that they are the ones torturing him. He's aware that the pain comes from them and his confused state believes that they are doing it deliberately. Yeah. Yeah. It's very convoluted, but it it kind of works. I mean, we're trying to create a confused state of the professor so that the professor can, I guess, ultimately be subjugated. Right. So, um, and then uh, Storm's like, we have done you no harm. Why are you doing this? Please give us your backstory. Well, now, this is interesting, Adam. Well, he doesn't actually. He, he thinks his backstory. He doesn't tell them anything. As, so as you read it, you're kind of like, oh, you're just giving us the backstory. But it, And we're going to talk about it here in a minute. But it turns out that this is just like a fleeting thought that crosses his mind um, as he just kind of ponders that question. So he never actually explains any of this to the X-Men. It's right. more for our benefit, which is kind of cool. He, He's having a memory. Yeah. So apparently he was a Master Sergeant William Stryker of the U.S. Army Rangers. Was he a Master Sergeant in X2? I don't know. Wasn't he like a military? Well, wait, hold on. He was a military guy in X2. He was a... No, he was, but I have the Wikipedia. He was, according to the Wikipedia page, he was a military scientist. Oh, all right. I guess that makes sense because they also tied him in to Wolverine's creation, which not quite how it went. Anyways. Uh, regardless. Um, so when his tour was over, he was taking his family, uh, to Phoenix, but they never made it. They had a car crash, uh, and his wife was very pregnant, and I guess the stress of that caused early labor or something, but he had to deliver the child. And when he did, he discovered that it was a monster, and he was faced with an abomination, so he did the only thing that he could do. He murdered his baby. And when his, uh, confused wife asked about his baby, he 
breaks her neck. I took her in my arms, held her close, and broke her neck. That's powerful. More powerful crap's happening in this comic book, Adam. And then he puts them back in the car and lights a match. I'm assuming he's hoping to kill himself. I think so, too. He doesn't get in the car himself, but he's next to the car. Because uh, the next panel, the car explodes. He goes flying away from it. Like, he was pretty close to the car. And yeah. um, cop's like, hey, he, the blast must have thrown you clear. You're going to be all right. So he's alive. His family is dead. Uh, the army considers him a war hero, but he's descended into alcohol abuse, and he's spending most of his time drunk. Uh, and then eventually, I think he gets discharged i mean you can kind of read some of this memo but you really can't read all of it you are hereby ordered to a court of inquiry to investigate charges personal conduct and unbecoming a sergeant reports indicating unique administration regretful situation oh because apparently like he'd get drunk and start fighting so i think he's just getting kind of a court martial maybe yeah he touched bottom and without the guts to kill himself uh without even the guts to kill himself so he saw a magazine article by Charles Xavier about mutants, and that's when he knew that after months of torment that the monster was, his child, a mutant. And then he wonders, how could he have fathered this mutant? Was there something wrong with him? But then, as he prayed, he realized that God was testing him and put the mutant into his wife and used her as a vessel. Right. As, was... as wackos generally tend to rationalize what it is that they are doing. He passes the blame. Yes. Uh, and so he, blessed with his grace, mutants broke that sacred mold, and they were the creations not of God, but of the devil. And now, based on his trials and tribulations, he's been chosen to lead the fight against them. And that's where he goes. From that lowly beginning came uh, my ministry. For a quarter century, I labored in the, or labored in the wilderness, amassing, amassing phenomenal temporal power. It's weird. And at last, this moment has come to put those resources to use. So he went from having nothing to being a very rich man with lots of electronics in 25 years. Hmm. Interesting. I, I wish I could see that business plan because <laughs> I, could, I, I could use all of that money and all those electronics and, and I would get rid of the, you know, other people hating aspect of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, who needs that? It yeah. just takes up takes up time seems like extra unnecessary baggage yeah so he didn't explain any of this to the x-men but what he does explain to the x-men is how he became aware of the x-men and professor xavier apparently over the last 25 years there's some been some people in the federal government who are loyal to his goals and beliefs and some of them were able to get a hold of wait for it fred duncan's files and pass them to Reverend Stryker. No word of Amos Duncan. No, no, no. Well, remember, his head was smushed by the juggernaut. So, just Fred. Fred Duncan's alive. The more he learned of his mentor, the more he became convinced that Professor Charles Xavier is the Antichrist. <laughs> yep. Whoa. So, I mean, you know, we're setting the stage for this guy's a whack job. I, we already knew that. Yeah. Why haven't you killed us? Well, there's a bigger plot afoot, blah, 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 blah. Okay, uh, let's go on to the next part of the plot. Just do something with Colossus's sister and kill Kitty. No, not Kitty! And then we get a little panel of... So Storm is furious that they're going to kill Kitty, and they block her back into her torture chamber, which we didn't really explain. They're kind of like these torture 
costumes, I guess. The torture chambers, Adam, are kind of like torture chambers. They can't really (laughs) see anything. I mean, they're like, they're not really chambers. They're costumes. They're they're like torture coffins, which is interesting. They never once touch on Storm's uh, claustrophobia. Oh, yeah, good point. Well, maybe that's part of the torture. Yeah. They're not actually doing anything to her. They're just... She's panicking because she's in a tight place. Yeah, Cyclops is, uh, he's not sure what's going on. He's just like, I don't get it. It's just a small space. (laughs) Uh, And that's when some lightning cracks out on the bay. And is this a photo? Or is this a painting? Or perhaps a painting of a photo? Uh, It's a painting for sure. But no, I don't know. Those clouds look very real, don't they? Yeah. The water looks like a painting. Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. Definitely very photorealistic. It's odd inside this comic. I like it. I do too. I mean, it stands out. It's a unique element. Yeah, maybe uh, uh, Brent Eric Anderson just happened to have this photo. He's like, I've always wanted to get this in a comic book. Maybe now I can. (laughs) So uh, as we have learned before, Storm's power is manifesting itself uh, outside of where she is because she's in a panicked state. Yes. Meanwhile, Crosstown... Colson Street, the South Bronx, they're commenting about this crazy weather. We were supposed to have clear skies. I wonder what's going on. Looks like a hell of a storm brewing over Manhattan. That's no concern of ours, Rocco. And they take Ileana out of the car and they... um, Set her down somewhere, I guess. We don't see her for a while. I guess she has figured that Kitty is conscious somehow. I guess because the nerve gas was from a long time ago. Um, You know... Uh, one thing I think we may have skipped, or I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag, is they scanned Ilana. They, uh, they're like, well, she's not quite a mutant, but she's not quite normal, so take her anyways. So they're kind of referring to that whole Belasco thing. Right. But uh, that may or may not be coming, or it's already happened, but it's worth it. I think it already happened. But Could be. Anyways. Um, they put a label on the trunk of the car called Mutie. I'm not sure why they do this, because then they shoot the crap out of it to the point where you can now no longer read it. <laughs> That's a good and point. then, and then they open the trunk, which presumably I don't know. Let's label her Mutie before we shoot her. Yeah, and, and this doesn't make sense to me. the The nerve gas should have rendered her unconscious long ago. Pity. She, oh, okay, I get it now. She should be conscious for this. So they wish that she was conscious, but she is not, and they're not going to bring her back. I got it. Who, Il- Ileana? No, uh, Kitty. Oh, 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 oh. She, well, she she wishes that she was conscious so that she could shoot her well, and have alive. her be alive. Well, it turns out as they open up the trunk, she's not in there. She must have escaped. So they're like, all right, fan out. Let's go get her. Turns out that Kitty, uh, the instant she heard the gas jets, she phased. Um, and apparently she got a little bit in her lungs, so she's a little groggy, but she didn't get a full lungful. That's why she didn't pass out. How did she stay in the trunk if <clears throat> she was phasing? I don't know because it. I think she got captured at daylight, and now it's it's like it's dark out. So I mean, she's been in the trunk for a couple of hours, and I thought while she was phased, she couldn't breathe, or maybe that's just when she's underground. Well, I guess. Yeah, let's let's assume that it's only when she's underground. Although she did go underground earlier, and she didn't have a problem breathing. No, it said that she had to hold her breath for that oh, early, okay. early in this comic. But I think you're right. Maybe she can phase, and if she's not obstructed, she she can actually breathe. But the other thing is the physics behind it, right? So you would think that as soon as she phases, like how would she be able to keep herself in the trunk? Well, you would, but she can create crazy stairs, so maybe she was resting on the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe maybe she had some stairs under her hands. 
and I, her, her entire body. How'd she keep those stairs moving at the same speed as the car without like phasing either forward every time they hit the brakes or phasing out whenever they hit well, the, the gas? Well, the stairs are wherever she needs them to be. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, anyways. Uh, she's, anyway, she's, she's running through the ghetto and she comes across a crew of near-do-wells of all sorts of races. Gang members. And this... These gang members, I mean, they're they're not good people, but the way they're drawn are just awesome. <laughs> it is just like if you ever wanted to portray '80s gang members, boom! Here's they the template. They are walking, talking stereotypes. One of them doesn't have a shirt on. Their pants are all tight. A bunch of shirts are open. You're right. You've got Hispanic. I think you got a Muslim back there. Uh, black guy. Yeah. I think the guy in the hat on the left is is like your your uh, southern white dude. Maybe I can't tell if he's like of Latino descent because maybe it's Gambit. Oh, maybe first appearance. You got like an Indian back there. Maybe I don't know. But they're like, you want help, Chica? We'd be glad to oblige. <laughs> um, sorry, I made a mistake. I'll go. And, that's and what- uh, to make a long story short, the uh, the ruffians get into a fight with the purifiers, oh, and t- Kitty manages to escape, and the purifiers kill them all. <laughs> You're gonna make that the story that short, Adam? This is a this this is a filler. This is filler. It is. But one of the gang members calls Anne a bitch. Yes, but in my version, it's uh, it's um, what does Blob always call women? Oh, uh, uh, not Dame, not Floozy, uh, Frail. No, not Frail. Something else. Oh. Was that word that you, you found really offensive? Uh, uh, oh, well. oh uh, Bimbo? Bimbo. <laughs> we six- we 60 one Bimbo. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you're right. I can totally see that. You're right. A fight ensues. Anne says, damn. And then one of the gang, Darn. <laughs> one of the gang members says, you were watching Julio and La Chica. Bitch. Bimbo. <laughs> you should have kept your eye on me. And she throws a knife and it hits Anne in the chest. Ah, and and she then she shoots Martin and in the, everybody's like, Martin, in he's the, dead. But Adam in the... Okay, so earlier we were talking about gunshots and blood and we can't quite tell where shots are being... This guy gets shot in the head. Well, this is neither a main character nor a child. So we can we can exploit that. Blood is shooting out of his forehead. He's dead, bro. She iced our jefe. <laughs> and we'll pay her in kind me hermanos blood for blood taker. <laughs> Anyways, yes. Uh, the purifiers show up and kill all the gang members. You're, it's filler, but it's... No, it's not even the purifiers that kill her. It is Anne herself. Kill them all. Oh, you're right. Because then the purifiers show up and say, I guess you didn't need our help. I guess I just like... The way that this is colored and the ambiance, oh, yeah. right? It's, it's needless, yeah. but still, it's, it's it's also just kind of like gri- it's cool coloring and good art. I'll, I'll give you that. It's it's gritty urban action occurring here. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. It's yeah, it's seventies movie style cliches all over the place. That it is. Like you expect, like Billy Jack to jump out and start kicking <laughs> ass. Uh, anyways, uh, so Kitty slips into another alleyway and uh, she finds a. A Spanish delicatessen. She makes a quip that her luck's improving, but Wolverine would say that there is no such thing as luck. But what does he know? Because once she phases inside, she finds a telephone. Poop on you, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> luck does exist. And so she steals some quarters from inside the phone by 
phasing. I don't know how this works. She phases in. I don't know. How does she get the quarters out? Well, I guess I, I don't think we've seen this before, but she can she can phase objects that she's holding on to. All right. So she grabs them somehow. So maybe her hand solidifies. I don't know. She, I mean, you've speculated that she must have absolute control over what parts of her body are solidified and which ones aren't. Yeah. So that has to be the case. Okay. So she does, and she makes a phone call. She calls the mansion. No one's answering. No one's answering. No one's answering. Come but on. wouldn't her phasing through the phone break the phone? She phases through the coin box. So presumably there's no electronics. She phases right through the wire, the telephone wire. Yeah, but there's. I, I think the power is more like circuit boards and such get ruined. I mean, that's just copper wire at that point. I'm, right. I'm okay with this. All right, all right. Now, if she phased through the touch tones, then I'd be like, now nah, that phone's broke. There's this sequence of panels where the phone is ringing, where it gets closer and closer to her eyes and her mouth, and it's just not working for me. Answer the phone. Answer the damn phone, she says. Darn phone, she means. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to amp up the, the intensity, right? Like, she's finally made her way to the phone. She's being chased. She knows that they're probably hot on her trail. Nobody's answering this phone, and finally somebody does answer the phone. I don't know. I guess you're kind of right. It it does just kind of fill up some space. Xavier School, Kurt Wagner speaking as the only one who ever answers the phone. Apparently my second job at the mansion is secretary. <laughs> I'm sorry, administrative assistant. What's the elf? I mean, it's Kitty. I'm in a bodega on Rusher Street near Colson in the Bronx. I'm in trouble. Boom. An explosion. Okay, she phased. Just in the nick of time. Smoke in her lungs. It hurts to breathe. Oh, cripes. They've spotted her. Rocco, our bullets are passing right through her. What do we do? She manages to escape again and phases on to the L train. Uh, well, into the L train, actually, scaring all the passengers there. And the driver of the L train, or, or maybe just security. I think it's a cop. You think it's just a cop? Okay. I think it's a cop. Uh, works for me. Uh, she's like, what's going on here? And she says, there are men chasing me trying to kill me. And, and he said, I'll protect you. But then they show up and cry. how do they do this? I uh, Electronics. They have superhuman electronic suits. Is that the deal with their electronic suits? Sure. We'll go well, with that. They show up. Um, not sure how this guy who isn't wearing a suit got there. Maybe he got carried there. Yeah, the the electronic suited guys carried him. Or Stand her. aside, people. You won't get hurt. It's the brat we want. No, this is a passenger. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was the passenger saying that. It's not. Okay. No. So uh, they shoot the cop. I sh- that should be that should be an important note. And this, and we know where he gets shot. He gets shot like like near the heart. Yep. So shot through the heart. Purifiers to blame. And so Kitty's kind of like, I'm going to protect him. I can't leave the policeman. He's still alive. And the purifier comes up and he's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you and we're going to frame you for the death of this cop. And that, yes, that'll further our cause. Suck it. But then the train lurches. And we're a flying. And a, says someone. <laughs> and a familiar Jewish voice says, uh, lay down your weapons, purifiers, and surrender, or suffer the consequences. Wolves, you can no more harm the master of magnetism. Oh, I, I lost my Jewish <laughs> accent. <laughs> yes, uh, the purifiers, they're, they, they're like, it's another mutie. They shoot all of their guns. Magneto is able to deflect or uh, move the path of all the bullets that are coming directly at him away from him. And he's like, 
Come on, guys. I'm the master of magnetism here. Are you going to shoot me with a gun? You know, No, that's not going to work. How is he able to uh, deflect their energy bolts? They're not shooting energy bolts at him. They're well, shooting bullets. Well, they are. Bullets. Read the panel. Magneto easily deflects both bullets and energy bolts. Oh, well, magnetic energy. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. The purifiers undaunted keep firing for as long as they have weapons. Magneto, meanwhile, is just sucking up all of the metal out of the uh, train car. And that's when the rest of the X-Men show up and beat up the purifiers. Colossus crushes a, a, a gun-wielding arm of a electronic purifier. Was that uh, Wolverine. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's oh, in yeah. the second panel, Wolverine slices up a gun. Yeah, I didn't realize the, what was happening there. The, the fourth panel, uh, Nightcrawler grabs another gun with a tail. Okay, hang on a second. This is the first time I'm connecting all of this. The first, <laughs> How many times have you read this? <laughs> uh, a lot. So I just thought, like, I don't know, just random stuff was happening. The first panel is what? Who's doing what? In the first panel, it's just the, the shot of the purifier shooting. Okay, then you got Colossus. But then in the second panel, you got Colossus grabbing that the hand of the shooter and scra- uh, smashing it. Mm-hmm. And that's the electronic guy. And then you have Wolverine slicing the gun and Nightcrawler grabbing the other gun. Got it. I never knew that. Yes, and then they fight. They beat up the purifiers. Uh, and then Kitty is like, whoa, Magneto, I, you tried to kill me. We're good. <laughs> Calm yourself, child. So, the yes. The bullet is uh, steel jacketed. My powers can easily draw it from his body. So I was thinking about this a little bit, right? So they Save the cop. They do. I mean, they still need to get him to like an ER, but, but they're going to. Spoilers. Um, the bullet goes into the cop. And now Magneto's like, okay, I, the bullet's in there. I can draw it out. But can Magneto really just back that bullet up out of the path that it entered into? Because I you know, would think that it I was like... I don't even think he needs to because we see the bullet come out the back. I mean, he's got a blood spot on his back when he gets shot. So doesn't that mean the bullet exited? Oh, good point. <laughs> You're right. So Magneto's going through a lot of effort to like grab the bullet off the ground, suck it through the hole that was created. <laughs> Um, Magneto, Mr. Magnetism, um, I don't want to question you because you are older than me, but this seems like an awful lot of trouble to go through. I just want to show off my powers. Look what precise control I have. Years of practice. Magneto makes a flying carpet out of the top of the train, which is kind of funny. And they, they fly it to a hospital, I guess, and drop off the cop. Meanwhile... Charles Xavier is now enshrouded in darkness, uh, and this scene is very familiar to the X2 scene, I think. Um, is it? I don't okay. know. It's He's old-looking, he's haggard, he's in the dark, he's in the wheelchair. Patrick Stewart, come on! What? Patrick Stewart looks great! Oh, he does, don't get me wrong, but watch X2 again. Like, the scenes where he's, like, like succumbing, I mean, they made him up to look kind of weathered i haven't seen x2 in a while it's a good one i I know so they say it's my favorite of the three original there's five now it's my favorite of the first three plus the two wolverine ones it's better than those two (laughs) (laughs) anyways uh yes a man shows up and he's like hey i've got some words from the bible um you want to hang out with me you want to believe in what i got and the professor's like yeah I believe it. Well, I'm, then... I've been tortured. I'm believing it. Then in order to prove your faith and belief, I need you to kill those two people 
boom, you will recognize as Cyclops and Storm. And at first the professor can't, but then using some more Bible scripture, uh, Stryker convinces Charles to obliterate, or I, it looks like he obliterates Storm and Cyclops, but I, I, I guess I'm not really sure. He's, he's tele, telekinetically or telepathically attacking them, and they have bloody noses. Well, I can I can explain that. But first, what I'd like to say is I just like the usage of repeating panels. I mean, normally it seems like kind of a cop out because you don't have to redraw it, but it's oh, like it, it can be very effective. It's very effective on on the prior page, and then the next page. As Stryker is getting closer, we just see the same shot of the professor with kind of a lucid, goofy grin on his face where he's kind of there because he's like, yes, I believe. Yes, I can prove myself. I can't kill them. They're my children. Okay. I just, I don't know. It's it's very effective use of just reusing the same image over and over again. Yeah, it's good stuff. And so he does. So what he does here is he uh, mentally hits their brain, uh, which is... What is going to happen later? And then we get a great shot of the professor's face after he kills them. Uh, he's just got this big grin on his face. And let's not. I did it. I did it, everybody. Yay. Yeah. And let's not. I mean, let's not overlook this panel. I mean, it's it's Cyclops and Storm bloodied and heads lolled over. I mean, they they are dead. Negative vital signs, Reverend. The mutants are dead. Look, there's confirmation. We've got scientific data, computers. The tell- mutants are dead. Is that, is that a song that I should be familiar with? I don't know. Have you ever seen Flight of the Concords? No. I've heard it's good, though. It's very good. You should watch the first episode <clears throat> after this. <laughs> right after this? Or maybe tomorrow. Uh, in an hour when we finish this, I'll probably be <laughs> heading straight to bed. <clears throat> but anyways, uh, yeah, see? Philip, there's nothing to worry about. Uh, if he'll do that to those that he loves the most, think of what he'll do against strangers. <gasps> what? So you got to be, you got to hand it to this book, right? I mean, now now we're past the 50% mark of this book, but you still don't quite know what the evil plot is. Right. Which well, is interesting. I mean, now we sort of do. We kind of do. Like now we've gotten our first hint as to what they're going to do. But up until now, it was just like a lot of things that were happening that were interesting. But you had really no, you, you don't know what the overall plan is. It's kind of cool. Anyways, Dr. Ramsey, or Philip, he's the guy that uh, is the lobotomizer, the, the whatever. He's getting a limo ride home because he's got to shower and get some food uh, before the big rally tonight that maybe the president will even attend. Oh, yeah. And uh, he ain't, it's no big thing. He's reading the paper. He's like, yeah, you want the president's autograph? I, I'll hook you up, taxi driver. Well, I think it says uh, limo driver. driver. And that's when Kitty phases through the top of the car, and then she grabs the prof- or the doctor, and she phases him through the back of the car. And she says, I actually phased another body with me. I've practiced phasing large-ish masses in the danger room, but I've never phased a person before. I never had to. Boom. More new information. Yeah, first time Kitty phases another person through a... Uh... Through well, through through an object, yeah. Frickin and we had crazy. talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Now it's happened. It's happened, folks. It's real. Uh, so the, she must unfaze them, and the guy's like, "Get away from me! You're Kitty Pride. You're dead." And she's really tired after doing that. She's never done it before. It's tough. Nightcrawler. She gets, she gets knocked over pretty easily, but then Nightcrawler grabs this guy by the tail and does some Batman-esque torture. Okay, now, I've never really analyzed this panel until just now, 
So here's my here's my problem. If you show Nightcrawler in a close-up with his tail grabbing the guy by the neck and pulling him up, I can accept that. Because you're like, well, how is he suspended? Maybe he's hanging on by his feet. Maybe he's hanging on by his hands. But in this next panel, this very rectangular panel, you see him just um, clinging to the wall Spider-Man style with his tail holding the doctor up. And I ask you... What is he? How how is he suspended in the air like that, Adam? Well, doesn't doesn't he have sticky feet? No, he doesn't have sticky feet. Oh. <laughs> so this panel kind of ruins everything for me because the next panel is where you just see his head. You see his head and his tail. It's like okay, this is fine. He's just hanging upside down because he's Nightcrawler. But if you're like, oh, he's he's sticky feet hanging onto the wall, we, he can't do that. Maybe he borrowed Spider-Man's webbing. Ah, he called Spidey and he's like, hey. Hey, Spidey, web yeah. me up against the wall, and I'm going to do this cool thing with my tail. And so he does the, uh, you know, classic interrogation. Uh, I believe he's quoting James Bond. <laughs> really? Yeah. We have ways of making you talk, but many more of making you die. Although I also like to read it in the Batman style. We have ways of making you talk. <laughs> um, despite what he's saying and, and what it may or may not be a quote of, I really like it, right? Because... What's happening is the guy's upside down. Nightcrawler's got his fangs bared, and he gets closer and closer to the guy's neck. It's like, oh, he, he's going to—he's threatening to eat him. Yes, this is the this is the moment I've been looking forward to. And the guy's like, no, okay, you know what I want. My patience is wearing thin, and he pokes him on the nose with his finger. This is the moment I've long looked forward to. <laughs> he can't be using his regular voice. He sounds so silly. <laughs> Good point. Later on in the Striker building, they take the dead bodies of Storm and Cyclops and they throw them into a crate. Not a crate, but into some netting. And they're like, oh, we also have to deal with Ilana, Ilyana. So everybody gets into an elevator and the, the bodies are going to the incinerator and Ilyana is going to the top floor. So they decide to go to the incinerator first, but then suddenly the elevator is going up. And all the guns get sucked out of the wall or sucked out of uh, people's hands and they're magnetized against the elevator panel. Though there's no reason that she couldn't try to grab it. But uh, she opens up the elevator and it turns out that the elevator has burst out of the building and it's flying through the air. And she leaps, trying not to think of the 600 foot sheer drop awaiting her should she miss. Somehow that doesn't break her anything. But she grabs on a hold of the building and she has to warn Stryker what's going on. It looks very much like the glass elevator from Willy Wonka. Well, you know, <laughs> it also looks like the elevator from when uh, Arcade stole the elevator. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yes. So she's on the roof. She's going to go warn Stryker. But uh, the uh, Magneto, the Magneto, has taken the... Uh, elevator with the X-Men to the Twin Towers, which is really weird. Like, they just, the professor had a dream about being on the top of the Twin Towers. Magneto's taking him to the Twin Towers. Why do they go to the Twin Towers? I don't know. It's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major landmark. landmark. Sure. I mean, I guess, but big attraction to the Twin Towers. Anyways, uh, they get there and uh, everyone's like, oh my God, I can't believe Storm and... Cyclops are dead. Wolverine says they aren't dead. I, I, my senses tell me Scott and Aurora are alive in some kind of stasis. A hefty jolt of electricity might revive him. All right, so Magneto, this... do that. <laughs> okay, zap. 
Um, it, it's worth a try. Uh, we have nothing uh, left to lose, you know. What am I, okay, I'll do it. Whatever. So they wake up. They are alive. And he goes on to say, fascinating. Charles must have been resisting Stryker's programming on some deep subconscious level. How does Magneto know that? Because somebody has to explain it. <laughs> no, no, no. That's fine. The, the fact that Charles must be, have been resisting Stryker's programming, he could no, not. No, what I'm, what I'm kill... saying is that, like, there's no other way to get this information no. to us, the audience, other than to have someone explain it. All right. So, the so, par- the... so yes, I'm... Magneto should not know this. Magneto, the only part of this that Magneto shouldn't know is the reprogramming part. Right. Like, everything else is fine. He's speculating that uh, the professor is like, oh, he's kept a little bit of uh, himself for the his family so he couldn't really kill him. But Well, no, he shouldn't know that the professor is the one that killed him. There's there, none of this he should know. Oh, good point. Good point. He shouldn't know that the professor did this. He shouldn't know that the doctor reprogrammed the professor. If he knew those pieces of information, then I believe he could leap to the third piece of information, which is he resisted somewhat on a very low level. In fact, how do the X-Men even know that? Scott and Aurora are dead. Hmm. Well, no, they they think that. Well, I get, They think that they're dead from the car accident. Even though Wolverine was like, "Nope, they're still alive." It's, the scents are all wrong. So Magneto stole the elevator with hoping to get Ileana back, but happened to get the bodies of Cyclops and Aurora. Is that I, what's happening here? I because I, now that I think about it, like, how did they know to even get that? Uh, elevator. I mean, Kitty knew that she needed to go back to get uh, Ileana, but how do they even know that they're at Stryker headquarters? Well, they, they, that's what the torture scene was about. They kidnapped the doctor. Oh, that's right. And then he spills the beans. Okay. Oh, well, then the, the doctor probably said, hey, I've been torturing the professor. And they just killed, uh, and he killed Cyclops and Aurora. Yeah. Okay. So I'm every- sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that kind of explains everything there. All right. Anyways, um, they wake up and now now Cyclops is like, Magneto? What? <laughs> so everybody has had their chance to react to the fact that Magneto's helping out here. He saved your life, Scott. Why? So I am not your enemy, X-Men, nor do I consider you mine. True, my goal has been the conquest of Earth, but solely to create a world where our race, Homo Superior, can live in peace. Look at yourselves risking your lives for the world rather than uh, being behind bars or dead so uh, again a little bit it's, in, you know you it's the it's the usual magneto versus the professor politics um sort of but this is kind of like the first time it's been like spelt out for us we get we get a little more detailed we get talk about his uh seeing his family get uh butchered mm-hmm. we've never we've never really seen it uh paralleling the ideologies of magneto and the professor before right and he also goes on to say like I'm going to create peace by getting rid of discontent, rebellion, uh, and then hunger, poverty, disease, and war. And uh, you're going to lose a couple freedoms, but without those things, everything's going to be awesome. Right. He wants to take over the world, and he wants the X-Men to help him. Yeah. He says, uh, hey, X-Men, you know, I could use you guys. You're pretty good in a fight. Yeah, because Cyclops says, well, creating a utopia for a single generation, that's easy. What? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the trick is to maintain that dream after you're gone. I'm going to do it in 30 years. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and Magneto says, hey, I need your help. But first, we need to start with this whole striker thing. Uh, so consider my offer. And, uh, you know, if we live through this whole ordeal, let's uh, let's have a meeting, some lunch, bagels. Colossus' leg in this panel is huge. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, anyways. It's- 
Oh, no, it's just his boot is sticking out to the side. Okay. The whole thing is in his leg. Wow, that was confusing. (laughs) Chapter four. It's our time check. We are closing in on the two-hour mark. (laughs) Okay. So, John Cheever is back. They are at Madison Square Garden, where they are getting ready for a huge striker crusade rally. Uh, however, a growing number of religious leaders, including fundamentalist evangelical ministers who only a few months ago were Stryker's friends, have begun to question the direction of his crusade. Because he's crazy. Yes, it's one thing to criticize the government policy and moral of the state of the nation, but quite another thing to single out a specific group of people and brand them as literally less than human. To many, it betokens an attitude uncomfortably reminiscent of that held in Nazi Germany against the Jews. I mean, not only that, I mean, that's the most extreme example, but I mean, you could literally flip this back book back to the front, substitute the word muty for any oppressed, uh, right. gay, gay uh, religious, black, Hispanic, whatever, and, and the whole story continues to work. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyways. It's a, yeah, it's always, even ever since the 60s, it's been, they've been kind of touching upon that. So, inside, backstage, now we finally kind of get the full-on plot. Um, Reverend right. Stryker. Stryker's electronic army has developed their own version of Cerebro, which will allow their now mind-controlled professor to reach out to mutants and destroy them. Yes, similar to what happened in the plot of X2, except he's not being mind-controlled by Stryker's son. Mm. But, they I mean, he didn't have a reverse Cerebro, but didn't they do something to the actual Cerebro to reverse the thinger? It's very similar in plot. Yes. Okay, anyways... Uh, they're ready to get this sermon going. Are you ready to rumble, says the announcer. And uh, so Stryker comes out, gives the little sermon, and starts talking some crazy. Uh, who are these? Uh, this must be the senator of New York. I wonder who is the senator of New York at that time. Well, uh, is it? I don't know. But he's talking back and forth. The senator there is kind of like, hey, does the president have any idea what Stryker's saying? Does he support this? The president is a fair-minded man. He believes the reverend's views deserve a hearing. Uh, if every president went and listened to every wacko's thoughts, be a busy I'm assuming president. That, I'm assuming that this guy is teetering on some sort of massive popularity scale right now. He's filled Madison Square Garden, so, I mean, he's definitely created a very big movement so yes. we got two cops in the audience listening to his speech thinking to themselves you know this uh this crowd's kind of scary they're really uh they're really fervent into this stuff yeah but the rangers are playing the islanders over at garden city i wish i was there <laughs> uh, and then he goes on uh children will be more uh born as monsters referring to mutants is that natural i say no i say never we are as god made us any deviation from that sacred template any mutation comes not from heaven but from hell or heck or hades Hades. (laughs) and that's when somebody throws the psi scan switch the x-men feel it right away and some kid in a star wars shirt gets knocked down So apparently based on the proximity that he was to Madison Square Gardens, he got hit the hardest with this psi attack. Now, I have a pro... I don't know. So the X-Men 
ultimately will get closer to Madison Square Gardens, closer than this boy will get, and they do ultimately feel the effects. But this boy goes down. He's out. Well, not, not only that, but there's other people that also get even closer. Yeah. Um, and they just have, like, nosebleeds and earsbleeds and stuff. And I don't know. I don't know. I guess my guess is this kid's on drugs or something. I feel that the reverse size scan device thing is just a little inconsistent in its effects. But it, it's it's like a sentinel. <laughs> That's right. It keeps growing and shrinking. But I get what they're trying to do here. This boy who is just walking down the street, had no idea he was a mutant. Boom, he's down. Uh, I don't think he's dead. I think he's just out for the counts. They call for a uh, a uh, ambulance, and uh, that's when yeah they're like, uh, Kurt Nightcrawler, you're bleeding too, and they realize that they're all going to end up like this if something's not done. So I guess the doctor guy probably told them like, hey, the ultimate goal is to create a reverse cerebro to kill all the mutants. Oh no! Magneto shows up inside of Madison Square Garden. I guess he removes the top, yes, and then seals it back. He does. He absolutely in. does. Because then someone, someone says to the senator, Senator, we got to get out here. And the senator says, no, gosh darn it. Magneto's replaced the roof. Good as new. I can tell. He's made an he, entrance, not an attack. And by the way, Adam, he says, no, damn it. Gosh darn it. <laughs> he, he screws in all of the bolts. I checked. <laughs> uh, and then on cue, the scan device is reprogrammed, refocused, and every iota of Xavier's power concentrated into an awesome beam of energy that blasts Magneto. Oh, no. Owie, that hurts. That uh, kind of hurts, so don't do that again. So he goes crashing uh, into a bunch of people, and now Magneto, the master of magnetism, the guy that we've seen try to take over the world, is on his hands and knees. You got a whole bunch of crazy people with their down-with-mutant signs coming for him. Uh, you know, you've never seen Magneto this vulnerable before. He's got enough power to push them back, but he thinks to himself that he kind of realizes that, oh, in the past, when I was fighting Charles, he must have always held back. Because if that's like the ability that he has, I could, I, can, I probably can't survive another one of those. Yeah. Uh, and I guess we should explain what's supposed to happen here is that this psi thing that the professor's creating is ultimately supposed to melt the brains of all of the mutants or destroy mm -hmm. the minds of all the mutants. That's why they're bleeding from the nose and the ears. Is that in there? I missed it's, that. It is somewhere. I can't find the exact passage, but, and I might be paraphrasing, but anyways, uh, Senator, what's his face says, Strager's gone too far. Bad enough. He claims mutants are as a race are evil, but to call for their summary execution. And then his ears are bleeding. His aide is like, you're bleeding. What the hell's going on? What is this madman doing? So, Senator So-and-so is a mutant? Adam, let's save that, because I do want to talk about that as we get further into this. Okay. Because I think we'll get into it as soon as this, this climactic battle occurs. Uh, or is it Mystique? Yes, it's Mystique, uh, posing as the Senator. Stryker continues on with the sermon, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And that's when the police have had enough. Not if I can help it, Buster. You back off, people. This is supposed to be a church service, not a damn circus. Leave the man be. Darn circus. Or even dang circus. Backstage, the rest of the X-Men have infiltrated. Uh, Cyclops, uh, Storm, Colossus, and Nightcrawler create a distraction while Ariel phases through because what she's going to do is find the device that the uh, professor's hooked up to and phase through it to destroy it. But the professor senses her and hits her with a mind blast. Yep, and so she goes following backwards. The X-Men are fighting the pacifiers. 
The Anne lady uh, runs up the steps to warn the Reverend that the X-Men are here, but the, as soon as she gets up to the top of the steps, she screams, Arr! and she says, blood coming out of her nose and her ears, and it turns out she's a mutant. The beam's affecting me, but that's impossible. That would mean I'm a mutant, the Reverend calls out. And she says, but but Reverend, I've I've served you faithfully. Why are you doing this to me? And then she's like, no, uh, I am set upon a righteous course, and nothing and no one will deter me for it. A true daughter of heaven would accept her fate. Your resistance reveals your true allegiance. Mutant Hellspun, I deny you. I cast you forever into the abyss. Now, Adam. And he, and he pushes her off the, uh, I don't know, very, very tall stage. Podium, yeah. So here's, I want to, I mean, we should talk about this panel because it's, it's an awesome panel, but... When I was a kid, I thought that this was, as she was falling, her mutant powers were manifesting her and her mutant power was to grow. Because as she falls off of this, she <laughs> grows larger and larger and she finally hits the ground and she, she dies. She's dead when she hits the ground, breaks her neck. But I was like, oh my God. So she, her powers manifest herself. She has the ability to grow. If she hits her head, she dies. That's a tragedy. Well, it's still a tragedy. You got that part right. But in reality, and this is so cool, and I never, I, I mean, I put it together later. This isn't one of those things I realized when I was close to 40, <laughs> is that these little boxes that are shaped, that are that are surrounding her as she's falling down, which could look like they're like power signatures, uh, are actually frames of the camera that's tracking her movement down to the ground. Right. Which yeah. is really cool how it's been illustrated, even though I didn't get it when I was 12. This death is televised yes the world just saw reverend striker push this woman off the podium and they saw her die and that's when uh everybody realizes that the that the reverend wants mutants to die i don't know how they didn't figure that earlier when he was saying that mutants have to die but the cops are fighting everybody some guy from the crowd's like, shut up, mutie, this is your fault. Another and guy. another guy in the crowd says, "Are you, wait a minute, what he's saying makes sense. No one in a crowd would actually say. That would never happen. <laughs> Be like, well, I, I guess. you know. Wait, you I'm going to totally go against the riot. Hey, everybody. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it seems to not, I don't want to say mob mentality, but definitely, uh, well, I don't know. Like, this is a pretty extreme thing that's occurring right now, right? Like, this isn't like a slow burn up into, like, let's all drink the Kool-Aid. It's more like, hey, I've got this long-term plan, and now I'm going to kill this person. So, All right. I, people, it, I guess, the, you know, the message is that people are, more people are starting to realize that yeah. the Revend is kooky. Uh, I, uh, it might have been interesting if that was a thought bubble, but. I guess it doesn't really matter. So that's when everything goes crazy. The powers from the professor are emanating all over the place. The cops are protecting Magneto. They've now, uh, they're using their guns to keep him, uh, to keep the crowd away from him. Which is interesting. I mean, but cool turn, uh, turn around. Wolverine says, we got to go for the professor. We got to do it my way. And so, uh, the Cyclops says, yes, good luck. And Nightcrawler bamps, wolverine over to the professor but at the same time cyclops fires his optic blasts at nothing and wolverine and nightcrawler appear above the professor and 
Cyclops is shot ricochets and Wolverine pops his claws and he's going to stab the professor in his head and Cyclops is shot ricochets again and the professor uses his psychic abilities to knock Wolverine and Nightcrawler over but then it turns out that Cyclops had Cyclops using his pinball uh, ability or his pool shot ability used his psychic uh, his his optic blasts his spatial awareness his spatial awareness mutant power yeah. <laughs> to sock the professor on the chin with his optic force blasts, knocking him out. Which, again, is another thing that I never really put together until just recently about <laughs> what this plan was and and what it was. And and so even Cyclops is like, well, it's a good thing it worked out this way. But but so I mean, the plan was basically we hit him from two locations. We know that the professor is going to hit at least one of us, probably not going to get both of us. So we don't know which way this is going to go. I'm either going to shoot him in his head and kind of snap him out of it, or you're going to kill him. Like, this is how it's going to end. Yeah. It's uh, a risk they have to take. And they also go on to rationalize that, you know, the professor's good, but he lacks our com- combat experience. So there, he's trained us well. And then that's when the Cyclops does a twirly uh, optic blast that goes in a circle and Destroys the entire machine. It's very fancy. The Colossus, he's like, oh, then we have finished. We have won, haven't we? The fight's barely begun, Peter. Right. But I guess I'm not very good with outcomes. Cyclops. I mean, in a typical comic book, this would be it, right? Like the bad guys would get away and the the Cyclops are like, we're going to be here to get him next time. But he's like, no, we're not running. It's Jeremy, this is a Marvel graphic novel. I'm with you, brother. And and (laughs) they don't mess around. Cyclops says, purifiers who are dangerous. Um, it, it isn't the purifiers who are the dangerous oops. ones, but the man himself, his beliefs, his ideas. If we don't stand up to those here and now, then all we've done is delay an inevitable holocaust. One way or the other, us or him, it ends tonight. Sounds like a good time. I thought I was the leader. <laughs> Count me in. Why didn't I deliver that speech? <laughs> Yes, we haven't really dealt with the mantle of leadership, this issue at all. In fact, I haven't done anything. <laughs> hmm, all right. So they come in, uh, and they're like, all right, we're taking a stand. And there's some. There's a lot of dialogue back here. It's, it's very, I don't want to say preachy, but it's like, hey, we're people. Why are you killing us? The X-Men come out to say, you know, we're not going to fight. We're going to debate. Yeah, and they go on and on and on. But uh, Stryker goes on to say... Um, well, let's see. Cyclops says, for all you know, we could be the real human race and the rest of you could be the mutants. And Stryker's like, human? He points over at Nightcrawler and says, you dare call that thing a human? And Nightcrawler is drawn to look particularly decrepit. (laughs) He's like hunched over, like, oh, I guess I am not very human, am I? I'm just doing the monster mash over here. (laughs) Now, this is pretty crazy, right? So we talked a little bit about how Kitty's grown up, uh, and she's definitely not 13-year-old Kitty that we've been used to. But she steps up, and she delivers a speech. She says she's Nightcrawler's more human than Stryker. He's generous, kind, and decent. He had every reason to be better, every excuse to become as much of a demon on the inside than the out. But instead, he decided rather to laugh. I hope that I can be half the person he is. And if I have to choose between caring for my friend and believing in your God, then I choose my friend. The Cyclops Cyclops says, 
Uh, the mic's over here, Kitty. <laughs> nobody, nobody heard that. Could you, could you do that again? That, now, those, that's, that's powerful stuff right there. I, I, I buy that. I mean, I don't think that's out of character. Um, that's the most, I would say that's the most in character Kitty has been in this whole episode. Really? I feel yeah. like this is like astonishing X-Men level Kitty. I don't feel like this is early uncanny X-Men Kitty. No, I think it is. I disagree. All right. All right. I, I mean, the reason I think it is is because it references Kitty's early reaction to Nightcrawler and fair enough her her change from that. Okay. And that that's why I feel like it works. Okay. Uh, he, he, this Reverend Stryker picks up a pistol and he says, uh, let those blasphemous words, girl, be your epitaph. He goes to shoot her and presumably X-Men know that she can phase so they don't do anything about it. Well, no, they do. It's weird. So she's by herself. He picks up the gun. She can phase. So the X-Men should be like, let's let this play out because as soon as this crowd sees them, this guy shoot her, like it's over for him. But instead, the X-Men all get in front of Kitty. Like, they're all standing together, which obviously makes a, a good symbolism. Well, I don't see them as in front of Kitty. I see them as beside Kitty. Well, I don't know. It kind of looks like Nightcrawler and maybe Wolverine are in front of her, but who knows what the perspective is. And anyway, and at any rate, they're, they're standing together with this. Uh, and it's weird because they put all of the most vulnerable people, for the most part, in front. <laughs> You got Storm, you got Cyclops, and you got Nightcrawler dead, dead front. Uh, in yeah, Wolverine should be in the front, or or at least Colossus and Wolverine. Colossus, Wolverine, and Kitty for the hell of it, you know. But anyways, <laughs> uh, Striker he cocks that gun and he shoots. Wait, we get, a, we get we get we get a cock of the gun and we get a blam. But but we turn we turn the page and I guess it wasn't Striker's gun that went off. It was. It was cop guy. Mustached cop guy. Hey, I just, cops gotta do what a cop's gotta do, you know? I work the beat. I work nine to five. It's not easy. I keep you safe. I make that 20... cop shot the reverend. Yup, who is about to shoot an unarmed little girl. If that's the word of God, it sure changed since Sunday school. But what about the muties? What about them? They've done as much or as little as you clowns. As far as I'm concerned, they're free to go and good luck to them. They're going to need it because I'm going to start shooting them. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> pew, pew. So, Oof. epilogue. Chapter five. <laughs> we are closing in on 220. No letters this week. <laughs> uh, William Stryker's arraigned. He's going to be taken to jail. But the problem is there's a bunch of other people that have, are apparently taking up his mantle. Right. Uh, Magneto walks in. Apparently he's hanging out with the X-Men right now. The man was beaten. His cause lives on. Already it's being said that Stryker's goal was right, only his method flawed. No matter how hard you try, you cannot truly win. And the professor says, I fear, old friend, you are correct. Now, this is the first time in front of the X-Men that professor has said, old friend to Magneto. <laughs> this is the point where everybody should be like, what? <laughs> Because, I mean, we saw an origin story about when he first met Magneto in the 40s or whatever. But I don't think the X-Men know that. That's true. <laughs> Anyways, they're not shocked at all. They're like, yeah. Um, well, they're more shocked about what the professor is saying, which is, you know. Uh, you're probably are, right. Are you telling us we should join Magneto? Why not? I spent my life smashing my head against a wall that refuses to be broken. And look at me, I'm bald. <laughs> Perhaps it's time 
I, we, found a better way. Stryker made me a killer. Well, even though no one actually died, the intent was there. So I let's do it. I long ago that I would see no more X-Men die. If Magneto is the only means to that end, then so be it. And Magneto's sitting in the background. He's got his hands behind his back, and he's thinking to himself, It's happening! <laughs> it's happening! <laughs> After all of these years, I'm finally getting through to him. Charles, we can be friends again. And that's when old sour pants comes in cyclops i won't accept that charles granted times are tough but come on we're the x-men we're better than that let's not join magneto don't you see either of you we're a human too a different branch perhaps but the basic same tree such a fundamental shift in attitude can't be imposed to have any meaning it must grow from within more about this tree analogy later <laughs> yeah, Magneto. You're wrong. We support your dream. Come back to us. Magneto's like, oh, so you guys aren't going to join me. Well, what about you, Charles? You going to join me? And for he brings four... up his hand, and he's like thinking about it, and then he's like, psych. I cannot. As you reminded me, Magnus. Magnus. Do we know Magnus. that? Uh, we probably learned it in that other episode or other issue you're probably right i taught them i gave them their reason for being i cannot desert them if they're willing to give my dream a chance well then so am i it is my dream after all it's still not eric nope it is not eric and it's not lensher it's just magnus you're all fools i'm out of here maybe 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 <laughs> but by the same token chum the world's got no shortage of windmills to tilt at because I'm Wolverine. I read. I know stuff. I'm pretty old, too. I got a lot of time to read. I have wept over too many graves, X-Men. I will not do so over yours. That's Don't it. go, Magneto. Stay with us. Help us. I can't fight for what I don't believe in. At least not yet. But I... we might win. Nah. I mean, I hope you do. <laughs> but if you don't, I'll be there and it'll be my turn. So it's kind of cool. Magneto's like, look, I can't because I don't believe in your way, but I'm going to go back to Asteroid M, chill for a while, let you do what you do, and if it doesn't work, I'm going to come down and I'm going to take care of business. Yeah. So moving on, he's gone. Professor's kind of like, oh, man, kind of ashamed of myself um, because he was vulnerable. He cries. Somebody, uh, Nightcrawler gives him a tissue. So Cyclops and Storm, they head out onto the balcony and they exchange some words about how they're friends and stuff and Storm. There's almost like a little romantic thing going on here. Uh, When I was 12, I certainly thought that. But rereading it, I'm like, they're just good friends. Yeah. But why is she kissing his earlobe? Uh, Well, because she's proud of him or something. I don't know. (laughs) You deserve an earlobe suck. And they're like holding hands and they've got their arms around each other. They're just close friends, I think. Just like we've been through a pretty crazy uh, uh, thing together. We're a little bit closer because of it. And, you know, I could use a little warmth right now. Finn. Yeah. So here's my theory, uh, Adam. Okay. Um, As I've read this and every time I've read it, you know how you saw the senator's ears bleeding, Anne's ears started bleeding, and other random people throughout the audience bleeding. My thought is that ultimately what the story is trying to say is that everyone's got a little mutant in them. Really? Yeah. I don't know about that. You don't think so? No. Well, that's what I think. And it doesn't have to necessarily mean that they all have the superpowers and flight. It's... Maybe the that when they tuned the machine for the professor to target mutants, 
they were just targeting, you know, everybody's got a subtle mutation in them. We're not all one generic genetic mold that can be classified, identified, and separated. You know, there's varying degrees of quote-unquote mutant, and that's mm-hmm. that's what I got out of that. That's why the senator, it took so long for it to happen to him, and only a little bit of blood came out of him. Anne never, she, Anne's like 30 years old. She never developed any mutant powers, yet she's bleeding. She's apparently got some mutant going on in her, but she doesn't have any powers that she knows of. I guess. I don't know. That's just what I thought. But it wouldn't, I mean, why, why was it just those two people then? Um, well, if you look at it that, I mean, I guess if you read it that, I mean, there's, there was a hundred thousand people in that audience. My thought would be that there was many more people that were exhibiting those same behaviors. And if the thing would have been allowed to progress, ultimately everybody's nose and ears would have started bleeding. I suppose that's, that's, that's a possibility. I don't know. It's a, whatever. It's, I like it. <laughs> every, every interpretation is valid. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that one, but it's food for thought. Food for thought, everybody. Food. Yum, 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 yum. Food for thought. So uh, we're going to do some backup issues now. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, we've got seven or eight here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So any any thoughts? I mean, is this your first time reading this story? Uh, yeah, this was my first time reading it. Uh, well, second time, I suppose, on the air. Um, and uh, what's that? Thoughts? Um, it's okay. It's okay? Really? Like, reading this... As a kid, at the same time when I was reading stuff like like I think about this issue historically and I'm and I'm thinking this is pretty cool because this I think predates like stuff like year one and Dark Knight Returns and all that like grim and gritty stuff that would happen. Oh, and I I could be I could be wrong about the dates. I might have screwed that up. I don't know. That would actually be an interesting connection to try to make. Is this potentially trying to ape those stories? Uh, or is this just a breed of its own? I don't think it is. I think this is a branch off of the Marvel serious stories where they get to swear and say stuff and be have serious issues and show blood. Um, but and and for that, all of that stuff, I thought it was pretty interesting. And I think reading it as a kid, I would have been like, "Whoa, this is the X Men story, man!" Just like you know, reading the Dark Knight, you're like, "Whoa, this is the Batman story." Hmm. But so I mean I did read this when I was a kid um and it to me just I don't think I ever thought like whoa this is the X-Men story it, I would not say that it moved me like it would have moved a typical Batman reader first reading Dark Knight it did okay. not move me in that but what it did was I read that and I was like well this is a much more mature and serious topic i mean they swear in it and there's blood but i wouldn't say that in any of those instances was any of that gratuitous it wasn't overused it was well placed it was it followed kind of the emotional tone of whatever the scene was uh and so for that i don't know i just kind of respected that particular medium because then you would go back to ah, dang you to hades and you know (laughs) the, the 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 typical cliched like Create your fog and we'll escape. And the super villain with all the tools and stuff is like, curse you, X-Men, I'll get you next time. Whereas, you know, this this to me seemed as I read it, and even as I reread it, is like this is like a plausible, like this could happen in real life. If there were X-Men who had superpowers and there was this church that had unlimited resources, 
Like these elaborate traps could be set up and it wouldn't be the hero's escape at the last minute. It would be people getting shot and, and stuff like that. I just don't like, like I like it. I like it as a story and I like it as a parable, but I don't think that it is realistic at all. I don't think. Oh no, not at all. No. I and I even, I, I don't think something like this could have ever happened in the eighties or, or anything remotely close to it. I'm, you know, religion definitely has a sway over people and it still does, but not to, not to this extent, not after, not after world war two. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have, I, maybe the situ. Well, no, I agree with you. I mean, you do hear a lot of stuff these days about the the churches going up against, you know, the gay marriage stuff, and like, oh yeah, I mean, there, hell, there's but- there's all sorts of stuff like that for sure, but on the scale that it's presented in this story, that is unrealistic. I, I, I feel like you are. I, you are absolutely correct. I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I was even trying to make that uh, parallel when I was saying like the striker tower, the electronics fortune, 25 years to amass this huge wealth to be right. able to do all this sort of stuff. I mean, obviously, it was a plot device to get us to a point where somebody who you've never heard of before could have the resources to put together this elaborate plot. So put it this way, Adam, I think you said it best in the episode where this is kind of like a condensed uh time frame i don't want to say something like this could happen but i mean if you were to start today <laughs> not you but somebody and they wanted to do something like this i would say it would probably take them you know a hundred years to get to a point where they've got the financial resources and the established religion and the followers to then like turn around and do what they did well, I would say the closest uh, analogy today would be Dianetics and Scientology, but that is without the let's kill off a certain you know percentage of the population. Yeah, they just sue everybody. Yeah, you know, I might be way off on that hundred year mark too. I mean, look at what Hitler was able to achieve in like six or seven years. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a sign of whatever times they are. So you know, it's 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 the Marvel universe. Maybe this is just the way. Maybe this is plausible in the Marvel universe. Uh, another another thing that I did like about it was it f- it was very uh, foretelling of how comics would would be. Like I could almost see this. Maybe not a hundred percent because some of it was still a little in the eighties, but it was very much a story that you could read in the comics today. Yes, and that that was kind of neat. Um, and definitely, I mean, there's also the. X-Men 2 is heavily based on this. Yeah. I mean, not just the sure. character, but the whole plot of the professor and the mutants and all of that stuff. Although, yeah, was he going to destroy the mutants next to? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think the professor, he was using the professor to kill all the mutants. Oh, but, but then Magneto, like, reversed some things. Is like, I'm going to use it to kill all the humans. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, enough of that. Uh, honestly, if you enjoyed this podcast and you've never read God Loves Man Kills... I- my opinion is go read it because there's some scenes that we glossed over because they're just so hard to describe because there's a lot of imagery. Um, I mean, there's still a lot of Chris Claremontisms, but not as much in this as uh, some other books. I mean, there are some, there's a lot of blank space where he could have put words. So, And honestly, we didn't want to make this a three-hour episode. Oh, I'm trying, Adam. Like, as long <laughs> as we keep talking. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, yeah, I don't have anything else to add to that. Do you, Adam? No, sir. All right, well, then until next time, when we return with a regular in-canon, in-series, uncanny X-Men episode, uh, the danger room is closed.